This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast weekend edition. My name is Peter Gowers. And yes, I've still got that dreaded bloody lurgy thing, but we'll fight through nonetheless. I'd like to introduce my co-host, Mr. Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? I'm well, Pete. I'm a little bit exhausted. It's been a it's been a pretty full on day, and I've got a another full on day coming up. But um, no, always uh, always good to be here in the hot seat with you and a uh, mm-hmm. special guest. So you just thought uh, you'd throw one or two uh, discussion points in there tonight to wrap up quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an action-packed episode, let me tell you. Let's get our uh, special guest on from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, Mr. Chris Walsh. Good evening. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm good. Good to see you both again. You too. Clown Town is alive and well. Oh, man. Get your tickets. Step right up. (laughs) Get your show bags. Get your fairy floss. Yeah. What do you call it where you come from? Cotton candy? Yeah, that's it, man. (laughs) Bag of peanuts. Uh, yeah. pe- you don't need to get a bag of peanuts. They're already uh, operating on full throttle. <laughs> All the peanuts around town. Oh, that's it, man. Never stops. Never stops. Clearly, mm. this has just been a crazy month. I think. Yeah, oh, I don't madness. know how you do it. I don't know how mm. you do it, Chris. Because I got to tell you, I have culled the hell out of your week. <laughs> uh, and I'm feeling actually slightly ill at the <laughs> stories that we we don't have time to discuss. I know, like some of these, you were you got on here. I'm like, oh yeah, that did happen in the last seven days. And it yeah. feels like longer to me. Yeah, it's been yeah. nuts. Well, mate, uh, while you were away, we uh, we interviewed one of your favorite people, um, John Elfrink, on the podcast this week. Oh God, <laughs> he said he said right. to say hello to you as well. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, he's back for a second round, is he? Didn't we did get we all did, the life story. We did person. bring him back. Um, we, we brought him back because we wanted to talk about the, um, you know, his experience as a uh, as a bush cop. I mean, he's worked in remote communities as a policeman. And, uh, you know, John, well, he's a straight shooter, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he, he tells you exactly what he's thinking. And it was, it was actually quite, um, it was quite, yeah, refreshing to have someone on the podcast that was willing to do that um, without fear or favour. Uh, well, I was yeah, I mean, he's, well. <laughs> got his opinions. They're his opinions. Everyone's entitled to them. I guess doesn't mean he's right. That's right. But people just are not that Listen with caution. Yeah, they're not uh, willing to listen to well, some people. At least I think uh, are not willing to allow people to have opinions these days, and that's mm. that to me is a bit of a concern. But look, mate, well, we better head head straight into it. We've got you know a seven or eight, well, seven odd stories that deal directly with the fallout from the um, uh, Zach Rolf uh, trial. Yeah, and uh, the first one uh, we effectively fell out the day after we recorded the podcast, unfortunately, yeah. um, which was the lifting of the suppression order by mm-hmm. the court and that allowed uh, certain evidence um, that wasn't put to the jury um, to be put into the public arena. Yeah. And some people m- might have had a little bit of a shock at some of the stuff mm-hmm. that came out. Yeah, I think I think they would have. Uh 
yeah. So look, like we talked about it, I think last week, and I said, yeah. So Friday, the suppression orders will be lifted. We'll see what comes out here. Uh, yes, yeah, so we went through them all. A lot of the stuff, and I was I was surprised that most of it, like ninety five percent, is really the tendency uh, stuff. That so this was during the trial. The prosecution tried to so they went back. Like we know about Zach Rolf getting these disciplinary notices after the after the not guilty verdict. So what they had done though, was after they charged him with murder, uh, back in 2019, they went through, and I, and I was talking about this, I think with, them, um, you know, their, their star witness there, this guy, Barham, he goes through and starts checking out all of Zach, Zach Rolf's, uh, previous arrests and any time that use of force was recorded. So what typically happens is that the, the use of force happens. It's an incident. It gets investigated by a senior sergeant. Somebody oversees it and says whether or not, you know, any disciplinary action needs to be taken or whether the actions were justifiable and cleared. And so in all of these, it's still important to note that they were all cleared. Uh, so one of them, though, that came out was uh this issue involving a, an Aboriginal man in Alice Springs and a, uh, uh, a domestic violence incident that had erupted, I guess, and there were a number of cops uh, called to this place. And I think there was some body-worn camera footage of that, which was really hard to make out what had happened. Um, anyway, this went to court. The, the gentleman had accused the police and, and Constable Rolf of uh, excessive force and assault. And so it went went before the judge greg borchers and uh he found that that the police were lying to him that zach rolf lied uh and that he did in fact he had in fact assaulted this man through the through the nature of this arrest and with these other officers there and there was a lot of detail of uh who did what and where and how people got kicked and hit and punched well we know that the the the, the Rolf had admitted to punching him because he claimed he had to at the time. The judge said, you're lying basically about this now. So that goes back and the police don't do anything. We've seen some other records that even then they said, uh, and this would have been, I think, six months before uh, the Kumanjai Walker shooting, which was November 2019, so six months before uh, they they basically there was no further. They said there wasn't enough evidence in internal documentation we saw for them to pursue it any further in terms of disciplinary measures against Rolf or any of the other officers involved. Uh, there were then a few other issues too with body worn camera footage. Uh, the, the other three that were involved assault, and one of them you can see, I'm not even sure this got much of a play. It came out Monday. Uh, you can see a, an Aboriginal man assaulting his partner and uh, Rolf and a bunch of other cops charge at him and push him into the wall to get him off the woman. And, uh, he's bleeding profusely from the forehead, I guess, in that one. Anyway, there were, there were these issues and basically what had happened in the, uh, the, the prosecution was trying to say he has a tendency here to use excessive force and lie about it. Um, but the judge determined that that wasn't going to be permitted into the trial. So the jury didn't see that. Uh, yeah, there, there were some other issues as well kind of come out all, over all that. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, we thought it was important. I mean, when we, we saw that, we, we weren't aware of that. Like I said, I didn't, I hadn't, we didn't have the resources to cover the trial every day. I was reading the transcripts as best I could on most days. So yeah, we weren't really aware of that. I knew about that there were about four issues that if I had been allowed to go, they would have been almost separate trials for each one. 
and it would have really prolonged this whole thing. So the judge ruled that, yeah, it wasn't admissible. But then he had also said something along the lines of, you know, this has to be made available for public scrutiny, uh, especially when allegations are being made of interference, political interference and how the charge was made. Everybody should see everything. So that was interesting. The judge said that. So we ran we ran those stories, and one of them, of course, too, was about some some text messages that were that the, the Zach Rolf had uh, written to some mates of his who were in the military while he was in Alice Springs with what was called the immediate response team. And uh, is, that yeah, me- is that media or immediate? Yeah, immediate. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Gunner this week was calling it something else, but uh, instant or something. Anyway, yeah, immediate response team. Uh, yeah, and so he this this is where he was saying, you know, he gets to do cowboy stuff with no rules. Uh, exactly how, how all of this even got collected, I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess they this were is trying like, to use it in the court. This but. is like text messages, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously, friends. if people yeah. aren't smart enough to work out that's just a bloke big noting, being, yeah. being a dick to his mates, then really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and I'm not even sure, yeah, how they got, like, you know, to, to go in and get this and try and tie this into a murder case yeah. is pretty stretching it, I she, think. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But look, some of them, he had said, uh, what Alice Springs sucks, haha. The good thing is it's like the Wild West and F all the rules and the job, really, but it's a shithole. Good to hear. Uh, of the volume of work, but we'll be good to leave. Uh, yeah, and the immediate response team, we're not full-time, just get called up from general duties for high-risk jobs. It's a sweet gig, just get to do cowboy stuff with no rules. So anyway, yeah, look, it, it seemed a lot of that tendency stuff was out there to uh, to embarrass a bit as well. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, we look, yeah, you know, the, we got to report everything as it comes out here and, and show sides and the and the, the, the uh, it's interesting to see incidents. what they go for isn't it you know like yeah. obviously um when when they're trying to prosecute someone they're, they're trying to discredit them in any way they can um, yeah and like this is like yeah the police right like the, the this yeah. is the investigators Correct. doing this not the dpp yeah, yeah. prosecution yeah, this is okay here here's how we're going to form the brief of evidence for this case we got to get everything we can on this guy yeah let's go and and get every time that there was excessive force and what did they only look for aboriginal men that used excessive force or was it like yeah, you know, right. non-aboriginals yeah, and I and I'd heard that there was another case where it was there was a claim of that, but it was non-indigenous, so they didn't really care. They didn't think that that was relevant. Um, right. So, anyway, yeah, you're, you're right. It's a good point of, of just how they did this. And I remember they they did this, so they make the decision to charge him four days after this, and then it was like full on. Okay, let's go and just get everything because um, they wouldn't have found this. So didn't have anything to do with the decision to charge, but they thought, oh, yeah, while we're at it, let's go back over all of his disciplinary yep. issues or um, yeah, incidents. It was really must have been hundreds of incidents, I would suggest, that they had to pour through, and they found four. And is it true that um, they discovered that he was using a pen without a pen license in grade four, and they're charging <laughs> for that too? Somebody said that on I'd heard media. that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and swearing and all kinds of bad stuff, but... Yeah. Anyway, look, we, we have to show everything here, and some of those incidents. I think people will make what they what they will about that when they see that and they read that of what yeah. happened, what the judge said, which was interesting. Um, so yeah, it just uh, kept going here. So that kind of took up the whole weekend, and then we get into the week here, and there's still more stuff coming. Yeah, so. and so let's get into that. I mean, um, 
uh, David Wood wrote a, a piece uh, uh, about the Pollock Report and, and and where is it? And we did we discussed that at length last week. I mean, yeah, we did. Yeah, I mean, about the changes. Yeah. Well, and you know, like so, so Jocker's out the other day. He finally comes out and takes questions, and I know we'll get into that in a bit. But nobody asked him. Nobody said, "Hey, where where is this follow-up report?" Like, and why did you why did you not release that when all the other evidence was being released? So yeah, so we don't know. I mean, who knows what his answer when he would have said something about the coronial coming up and all of our wildest dreams will come true there, and we'll get all the the answers to the truths that we seek. Um, I'm trying to talk like him, right? Like he's it's just nonsense. Very spiritually. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, look, he's he continues to to refuse to say where that that those well, I guess there was an original coronial report by uh Pollock, uh by Scott Pollock. He's uh officer detective superintendent Scott Pollock. Like we said, uh really respected guy in the police force, but he had Started looking into this stuff uh, around the Kumanjai Walker shooting and uh, and and Rolf's involvement, and then he was kind of moved on before he could finish his report. He was going one way with it, it appears, and uh, he was then told to to leave. And uh, the other guy came in. That was David Proctor, uh, who came in, a, a commander David Proctor, who later altered the reports and. Um, yeah, so Woody had talked to some some people who knew some things here, some senior police sources who were saying that, uh, yeah, the, the, the way this was done certainly raises questions, certainly not typical. Um, and wanting to know, and look, he, he talked to people who knew Pollock, and Pollock, of course, is on, like, extended leave here he hasn't been in for a while uh and then they said uh, pollock should be on workers comp but he won't do it they said he's scared to be on the phone as he thinks the phone's being monitored he accuses chalk of being corrupt he's a broken man over this matter uh yeah so you know this report it gets it gets changed but then what happens to that original report where does it go chalker does not give it up when all the other evidence is there. And then when that, that was discovered, remember the defense team only found out about it in, in June while the uh, coronial was going on, I think. So, uh, or sorry, not the coronal, the uh, committal hearing. So anyway, they had asked for it and uh, they ended up getting redacted version of it. And Chalker's lawyer, Mary Chalmers, refuted claims that Chalker had intentionally withheld the reports at the time. Uh, yeah, so Woody had talked to some other sources who were saying, look, it would be on a hard drive somewhere, though, uh, and suggested that these other people, senior members, would have seen the report. Uh, the source said, I believe the cha- they changed the write-up of the axes. Uh, that's back to another incident. Um, uh, yeah, about Walker and what happened there, but that's not really pertinent to this. Uh, yeah, another source said the type of investigator Pollock was would mean he would not just have emailed the reports to Chalker, so there would definitely be officially documented in the anti-police system. Uh, it would be very much in existence, they said. So, uh, yeah, and they said, realistically, both Pollock's and Proctor's reports should be tabled. Never in the history of anti-police have they ever done two coronial reports into the same issue here this report would have been reviewed by a superintendent or assistant commissioner who sits over major crime in the coronal sections and then that person would have sent it to chalker for a review it is most likely 
not the report to be filed with the coroner's court, though. So, of course, remember, Chalker and Gunner like to say uh, as quickly as they could, oh, there's a coronial inquest coming up. And, uh, you know, yeah, we'll get answers then and then we have to respect this process. So it doesn't look like the, the, this report or its altered version or any will even be used in that. Is what these sources are telling us. So this is, it exists somewhere. We know that. We know that it happened. We know that the guy who wrote it's on leave now. Um, why are they burying this? Can I just ask, I mean, of course, I haven't read any of the transcripts, Chris. Neither am I a criminal lawyer. But why was the judge not able to compel the production of that report? Well, he did to some degree, but it was redacted. Like, And he agreed to the redactions. Okay, and that was Mildred, I believe. So it was they got something, but it was redacted. Now, why was it redacted? Right, like what what parts exactly were redacted for what purpose? And I don't think that was made clear. Right. So yeah, how do you see an unredacted version of this? I I don't know. Like well, how, I, I would have I thought uh, I would have thought that given the the judge uh, had lifted suppression orders on all the evidence, <laughs> um, surely we would have been able to see an unredacted version of that report. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're trying. Look, I went back to them this week too, saying, like, I don't think that this is everything. I, I need some other things that I'm aware of that are in here that I can't find. So I know it was a, a, a lot of documents. And, uh, you know, they had one guy doing that who, who did a fantastic job. I know he was working hard to get this stuff out to the media. But, yeah, I've gone back to them. still waiting to hear back from them for a few other things. So we'll see what happens. But the way this has all been handled, I they really don't want that getting out. So whether or not it was a suppression order or not, um, I don't know. They're just, there might be other ways to keep this thing confidential. Right. And then the next uh, story, uh, Gunner comes out and says that, uh, you know, with all the, all the kerfuffle that has happened, that uh, he, it's not him that's just being attacked, it's also the police. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, you, you attack me, you're attacking every single police officer in the Northern it's like, Territory. It's like, he's, he's like NATO, isn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very similar. Well, I mean, I just think that a lot, a lot of people saw this and thought, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> um, so we knew that he had to... Uh, we knew, you know, back on that Friday when it, when it came down, we were saying, you know, expect the political follow to transpire here over days, weeks even, maybe even months. Uh, and it's, it's kind of been every day. And then, of course, Parliament resumed on Tuesday. And uh, uh, I think Gunnar knew what he was in for. I think he was trying to talk about his plan to reduce red tape. Which I don't know. Yeah, it's been in here how long? Six years now, and he hasn't done anything at this. There's a fair bit of it around, so yeah. It's all, but it's all back to this economic reconstruction committee report that they put out, which is you know what. And even that was more than a year ago, and now they're oh, we're doing changes. Anyway, look, but that's what he tried to do, and then we know that uh, the opposition was going to be there and hammering him over this and the allegations of political interference, which we touched on last week, and Leon, you. And I think I'd listened to that. Um, I hadn't heard that before, that Australian podcast with, mm. uh, with Zach Rolf that was recorded uh, just like a month after the, or a few weeks. weeks after. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in that, of course, he had made that allegation that Gunner was in the room with the DPP and the police commissioner when the decision to charge was made. So that's, 
you know, an accusation, allegation that, that that was running in certain circles here since that happened. And police definitely knew that, um, that the allegation of that. So, you know, now it's finally kind of being aired here. And I think Gunner knew what he was getting in for when he got into parliament. So, uh, but how he defends himself in this. So he, he's saying in parliament on Tuesday um, during question time that, again, he, he was not involved in the decision in any way to charge Rolf. Uh, and he told Parliament that any attack on him about this situation is an attack on the police. Uh, you know, all of this goes back, and we keep hearing this thing about the consequences will flow. I remember when Gunnar got up there in Uendamu, and, and you know, Leon, this week too in Parliament, he did the same thing that he said on the radio the week before, which is, you know, consequences, recommendations. Um, oh, God. And it's like, no, those are <laughs> really? two very different words. <laughs> hey, Bozo and, I was going to ask you too, yeah. just to sort of let, let's let's have an ad here right now, okay, uh, for the NT Independent. Yeah. Uh, um, I know, you know, Owen's looking for um, ways to, to raise money. Yes. Uh, and I just thought this is a complete, free kick here for you i can see t-shirts printed for the anti-independent with uh, with the the low with the with the caption consequences will flow i'm sure they'd go out like hotcakes <laughs> yeah good idea yeah we'll run and buy them and um, absolutely and uh i think somebody had made shirts with our thing on it said no consequences but that's for something else that's for yeah. when you're a politician that's for everybody inside but, <laughs> yeah but everyone else consequences <laughs> will flow in a hose or something um yeah anyway so look yeah this, this, this phrase just keeps coming back up uh and of course remember he had said it in uendamu there was unrest there in the community he says it the day before rolf is then charged with murder and everybody's saying that gunner continues to say that he was misquoted and he says the and the ntpa and the opposition, I guess, but the police association and the opposition have just been hammering him for the first half of the week on this stuff. <laughs> and he keeps saying, no, you're misquoting me and acting maliciously and politicizing the situation. And then he says, in this instance, you're not just attacking me, you're attacking police and you're attacking the office of the director of public prosecutions and you're undermining the integrity of our justice system. That's what you're doing. He said, when when asked whether he had been involved with the discussions around the charges. So, you know, he doesn't like this. Like, there's no misquoting him. He said that. <laughs> you can't say, I didn't say that. Yeah, you can't say he misquoting me when they're quoting the exact words that you yeah. said. And, and nobody's even arguing that he didn't say it. He seems to think that this is some way to get out of this, too, that, you know, some genius sophistry here that he, that, oh, I was talking about the coronial. Yeah, you said that in connection to the coronial. We know that. What the hell does that change anything? Like yeah. he's saying consequences were going to flow. At that point, they didn't know there was going to be a murder investigation or there was a Supreme Court trial, I guess. It was clear that there was going to be an investigation. And that's what he was getting at and saying there'll be a coronial as there is for these kind of deaths in custody. So, you know, it was, but it was the part, if you had it just said so there's a coronial and yeah, recommendations come from that, we'll definitely act on them, which is what they really say every time they do a coronial. But he took it further. He said consequences will flow. And, and and I think people understood, and I think he understood what he was talking about. The fact that he, if he was too proud to bring to walk that back after being called on it at the time. And even now, I think he said something this week about uh, maybe if somebody was there and wanted to say something different, you, you know, he's still not even taking responsibility for this. He still thinks he can weasel his way out of it with us, the same as recommendations, and it isn't. Uh, anyway, 
Yeah, and they, look, they still continue. He still continued just on Tuesday to back, uh, refusing to call the independent inquiry that the CLP wants. Uh, and I think a lot of a lot of members of the public want at this point because there's just so many accusations swirling around out there and hanging Correct. over everybody. Correct. For Gunner to say, you know, you're disrespecting the justice system or people are losing faith in it. Well, they they will every day that they don't take action at this point. Correct. To just come it's out just and nothing say, to hide. Why wouldn't you do yeah. it? And just come out and say, no, 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 there's no political interference. That's all they're doing now. Like it's Thursday night now. Today in Parliament, they were hammered over it again. And the, it, both Nicole Madison, the police minister, and Gunner, uh, their only response now is just truncated to there was no political interference. That's all that they say. That's only there. And it's like, well, the question was, why did you meet with Chalker before he was sworn in? over Uendamu and you know there are questions about well what about the investigators and we'll get into this later I think but what about the investigators who said that they had serious concerns at how quick this was moving and, and the rush to to go to to charge with murder and he just the both of them just kept saying that all day no there's no political interference involved here that's not you know that's not satisfying anybody no it's not and you know what who else was doing uh, similar stuff hmm. I just happened to listen to uh Katie Wolf's uh, interview with Natasha Files. Oh, God, yeah. I wouldn't waste my just, time with that. It's just horrible. You know what? I'd rather, I'd rather listen to s- uh, someone scratch their fingernails down a blackboard <laughs> because it is that painful. That's a big accusation, Leon. Yeah, Honestly, I think it's like it was just I can horrible. imagine. It is, I can it, imagine. You know, it's just like you, know, you guys used to say robot, robot, you know, and I, I never quite understood that because I, I'd never really heard mm. Natasha Files in Parliament. Yeah. But on the, on the radio, she was just, you know, every, every, every sentence, every uh, answer to a question from Katie begins with the word so. I don't know if you've noticed yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Katie, here's what we're it's doing. Okay. We're providing right. certainty, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like interviewing her would be like calling up an automated phone messaging service thing. You know, press one. Yeah, and like you just try to get through, try to break through somehow and get somebody a human on the line and that ain't gonna yeah. happen and that's yeah. what it's like with it's her not leadership yeah. it's no. just not leadership you gotta face up to this stuff that's the whole idea of a democracy yeah you get elected and then you get scrutinized for what you do and you take you it to come out and yeah. just basically correct it. yeah and, and, and explain as best you can to the people what the hell's going on correct i read the transcript from question time today and i just thought that's just an insult to people who voted for you mm. to come out with that same line every time. That's not an answer. And yeah. It, it, it's just a slap in the face to anybody who supports you. Yeah. And then this has just gone on all week here. So yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to find in that story. He had denied that. Yeah. Gunner. He'd also denied earlier in the week here that, um, that he had been in any discussions with the director of public prosecutions. I think I might've said that last week. I said, like they had asked, he had asked him about meeting with police, but I said, well, what about with the DPP? And so he's come out and said that now there were no meetings there. He told ABC that any suggestion he was involved in those discussions was quote, absolutely untrue and probably actionable. Uh, yeah, the, the NTPA president here, Paul McHugh, he's still pushing Gunner, right? Like he's still going on and doubling down on this stuff and saying, no, Gunner said that he did that. He, he politically interfered by making that comment about consequences will flow. Um, 
And he put out a release after Gunner was on radio on Tuesday saying, um, calling on Gunner to, quote, take responsibility for his comments or step aside. So, yeah. And now, like, and I still Brilliant. don't get that. But I, I still don't get where McHugh's coming from. So back in that February 2020 Australian story, where where Chalker says, and we'll get into that later because that really came up today more, um, where Chalker says that he's confident that the investigation will withstand, withstand all rigor and uh, oversight. Uh, and then the other day he said he was shocked. But McHugh in that story actually is critical of Chalker and saying, you know, this decision to move this quickly has upset our members. Now, McHugh's outside. Oh, I've got to check with our members now to see if they're upset over this. And it's clear that two years ago, he was saying our members are very much upset about this and the Chalker has a role to play here. And now he's just completely gone silent on Chalker. I mean, he's out there throwing stones at Gunner and kicking sand at Gunner as hard as he can every day. He's laying it on him. But I just wonder why he's just going for Gunner on this whole thing and why, you know, you know, the other thing, and we sent them questions, the NTPA haven't come out to say whether or not they support the opposition's call for an independent inquiry. Now, they told me in uh, response to questions that they don't think that Chalker resigning right now is the right time, um, that they still think the coronial should should proceed. But uh, I think that they're not that something's going on here. All right. Something's changed. I'm just going to say that you don't have this guy, Paul McHugh, the president of the police association, out hammering Chalker. And not just on this. I remember he was going after him for all kinds of things because he was representing his members and his members did not like Chalker for any number of things um, that we've discussed at length here before. But for, at some point, he just takes his foot off the gas on Chalker. He just relaxes. He just lets Chalker go and he decides, I'm just going to go after Gunner on everything. And that is curious, guys. And I'm just kind of saying that now and we'll see where this goes. But when you go back and read that stuff, you're like, OK, what the hell's going on? So anyway, we'll, we'll figure that out as it progresses, but something's going on. Okay. Well, um, next off the, uh, off the conveyor belt is a police officer left the force every two days from yeah. late November to mid-February, according to official figures. Yeah, well, yeah, that was a good little segue in there. And then we're talking about the police association. So these are official numbers now. I think they were a little late releasing these is what he was saying. Uh, but it was the NTPA figures show that, uh, yeah, uh, one officer on average every two days um, is resigning. Uh, so are retiring, of course. Now that is up there with what is the highest rate, recorded rate, that we know of in the NT's history. So cops are fleeing. Remember, this was double what it was, uh, I think, that year before uh, Chalker had come in. It had, it had doubled. Um, yeah, and, and, and these numbers now are consistent with that. It was something like, uh, I can't remember offhand here, but it was something like 4.5% attrition rate and then jumped to like 8 point something. And it's like, wow, okay, something's going on now. What these figures show is that it's still on that same trajectory. So they've, look, they've got they've got new recruits coming in, but when you're when you're losing uh, that many uh, forty one officers over eighty days or something, um, 
geez, how do you train these guys? And, and when we had talked to sources and police, they were saying, we need those guys with experience. And you lose the experience, you can recruit all you want, but getting them trained on the job is going to be much more difficult. And they're not going to get to that level of experience and, and skill that they need to. We know that the uh, police academy is doing a great job. Yeah, well, Jesus, yeah. I wonder if they've improved. I mean, that, that was humiliating for them. It made national news and got national attention, right? We had the civil liberties people saying, what's going yeah. on up there? Yeah. Hopefully they got, I, I bet you it's still the same <laughs> anyway. We'll, we'll have to look into that again and where they, they're at. But, yeah, I mean. There was the questions. incident with the road spikes, but they ended up getting someone anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah, that was in Alice where they hit the wrong car with the spikes and then said, oh, well, the guy we did hit was committing crimes too. So that's fair it's enough. All good. But yeah, Justified. The, yeah, that police college, right? I mean, how scary that was that they weren't trained properly, that you know, the instructors weren't trained properly, um, that they didn't weren't keeping proper records, that uh yeah, it was just it was uh, uh, just a big debacle. Um and here we go though, now on the other side of this, you're seeing people leaving and uh, a lot of this we know is from the low morale, right? I mean, you go back to Paul McHugh, the president of the NTPA, saying, um, oh, you know, we've got to go talk to our members before we do anything now. Like, he's, he's already talked to them, and they've been pretty clear that um, what the issues are uh, that they're dealing with, that the, the low morale being a big one. Uh yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I see her chalker had respond to them. Hey, well, she. Yeah. If their members drop below a certain level, like the CLP, can they lose union status? Uh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. Because, um, yeah, I think there's some people who aren't happy there, <laughs> quite a number of them now, especially what's happened in, in, in the last couple of weeks. But, uh, yeah, anyway, look, all, all this points back to is those issues that we had discussed before and that something's wrong here, that, that you're losing this many police officers. And, uh, you know, Chakra was in a press conference because I think we ran this story that morning and he came out and one of the journalists said, uh, you know, what about you? I mean, you're overseeing the largest um, attrition rate in the history of the anti-police. And he said, oh, you know, most of that's uh, COVID related because they weren't getting holidays and I had to cancel people's holidays. <laughs> like he said that. He actually COVID said that. Related. That's every company in, on the face of the earth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's like yeah. Google still to this day tells you they can't answer their phones because of COVID. COVID. What a joke. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's clearly not it. And, and he knows the issues and the, and the police association knows the issues. I've talked to members that put up these surveys. Uh, yeah, and as much as you know, Chalker claims, you know, um, that he's constantly working on our commitment to our people and our community, you know, that kind of stuff. Your well being is equally as important as your safety, Madison told them, you know, until they start actually taking action, until they start showing these cops that they have their backs and they're going to fix this stuff, this one morale, just saying, oh, yeah, we, you know, your well being is important and we're working on our commitment to you. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean anything. We're going to lose more cops. And look, yeah, even a, a, a cop that I was talking to the other day who, who's well-placed was saying, you expect a lot more resignations here now the way this is playing out too. Yeah. So in the next in the next quarter there, let's have a look again because it's going to be worse. Well, one thing you might want to do, Chris, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the budget's coming up in another couple of months. Uh, it'd be interesting to look at the budget papers in relation to uh, the police uh, fire and emergency services. 
no. and see no. whether there's a surplus there because no. people have left and, you know, they haven't spent their budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and they've vaccinated ones that got kicked out. <laughs> well, and this is the thing that I was curious about too. I've been talking to some people this week and it, and it just kind of came up is how much did this whole trial cost us, the Rolf trial? Like it's cost a lot of money. Like I was talking to some people in the legal fraternity, let's say, and they're saying, yeah, we know what they were billing and what they were charging these interstate lawyers to come up and do this prosecution. So, um, yeah, I, I wonder what, you know, well, it was what, five weeks. Um, but then previous previous stuff as well, all the stuff before, and it was about to go to court. They were coming up to quarantine. It was supposed to go to trial and then they canceled it and had to go back to the high court for that thing, which even that was questionable, but it's a lot of money. (laughs) I'd be, yeah, I'd be surprised if it was less than, you know, 3 million to tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds probably, yeah. Um, man, let's see what comes of that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, look, uh, the next uh, story <laughs> in relation to this matter, petition to sack police commissioner passes 9,000 signatures. The chief minister calls him outstanding. <laughs> now, is this, uh, are these signatures coming from outside the Northern Territory? <laughs> like, yeah, look, yeah, some, <laughs> some of them have for sure. I don't know the breakdown, but... <laughs> Woody, um, oh, what, what did you say? Where For, like, former cops have moved into state? Yeah, probably. no, I was thinking about you remember when Quentin Gillian ran yeah, the, the pe- petition the and pe- people, people in the there's a lot of Russian votes were, <laughs> were, <laughs> were voting, they were outraged. Yeah, it was. I'm trying to remember where was it? It was like Africa, there were yeah. African people in there, like. <laughs> I remember that Ghana or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we don't yeah. know. We don't know well, the makeup of these nine thousand signatures. I think I think Woody's looking into that a bit more now too. Um, but yeah, as far as that, I, like considerable number. I think the organizer was telling him though are are from the NT. It's not one of these things that people just sign. Um, I'm trying to find here where yeah there. So nine thousand. I haven't checked. Now that would have been. Um, when we run this, that would have been Tuesday night, maybe. Uh, so fully expect us probably over 10,000 now. Uh, yeah, this is, look, it was created by uh, the creator and administrator of the support NT police Facebook group. And her husband is an NT police officer. Right. And they have 7,000 members right there. And uh, what she told David Wood was members contacted me directly and asked me to start this petition. She said, many were too scared to put their name to it for fear of being targeted. Uh, I started the petition. I am no one, and this is for everyone. This is the people's petition. More than 9,000 digital signatures after five days tells me I did the right thing starting it. That's something that that we hear a lot of, right? Uh, That people are very much afraid of reprisals here and um, saying anything negative uh, publicly, privately. Anything about about the commissioner or any of the uh, the top brass there? Um, so yeah. Anyway, a lot of people calling on it. It kind of goes into too. I think um, this idea. Look, the, I should just say this first: what it actually was about. So one of the main factors of this uh, that led to this was, of course, the handling of the Rolf matter. Uh, but there were other there were other issues here that they had raised uh including of course the member survey the 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 low morale issues it also um 
brought up the uh, Chalker refusing to discipline Deputy Commissioner Murray Smallpage after that whole live Facebook uh, live streaming himself. Remember saying that a, the collective noun for cops should be a murder. Uh, just, yeah. And then, and then it also referenced Chalker playing golf interstate for the final week of the trial. Well, you know, all the other people there, it also referenced, um, the, uh, Chalker severing the anti-police's 30 year relationship with Rotary, the Rotary Club Darwin after they, uh, had included uh, Constable Rolf's name in this police officer of the year voting and sent to him. And he did not like that. So he, he personally took them out. And that, uh, yeah, they, they had a whole lot of issues that they were raising here saying, do you think you should resign because of these things? So everybody could pick whatever thing they were most aggrieved about with Chalker. But the fact that he's got... Was there an all of the above option? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think. I think you probably had a lot of people saying that. And a lot of those cops who were afraid to give their names were the ones who would have selected yeah. all of the above. So... Uh, you know, I mean, this thing isn't, of course, legally not binding or anything, but it certainly has, from what we've heard, rattled them. Uh, you know, Chalker then came out within hours of the story, and uh, uh, we've heard things from inside that, yeah, that it's not been a pleasant couple of weeks for him. And uh, anyway, he came out, he asked questions, he answered some questions for the first time. Um, well, kind of. He said he was, and he didn't really. But yeah, they were asking him about this petition, and he said that he believed that they had uh, that he had the support from the majority of officers, and this was based on something that had happened in Alice Springs. We understood that he was there, and he had asked some senior sergeants whether they support him. And of course, again, we get back into that idea of them being afraid to say anything negative, and they, oh yeah, hey, no man, you're the best. And, he, and, you know, he was near tears saying, you know, I love them. I, and they know that I'm a territory born and bred police commissioner. And he choked up and I love the police, fire and emergency services. And yeah, this is a guy in complete damage control at this point. You know, this, this has rattled them, the petition, um, everything that's gone on, the questions that continue to linger that he can't uh, seem to shake uh, of, of something going wrong in that investigation process here. And he's he's just coming out trying to save his career at this point. I mean, I, I think that's pretty clear. This guy who was in police uh, clearly must have had a disagreement or falling out with the previous commissioner was then shoveled into the housing Department of Housing, where we saw a complete failure uh, that the Auditor General found in getting that remote housing stuff done. He then somehow... Well, through this headhunting company that we've talked about before, it's questionable how they got that contract that he then gets to become the police commissioner. And really, I mean, where do you go if he stood down from this? He resigns. That's the honorable thing and resigns. You know, maybe that does save him a little bit to resign. But uh, yeah, this looks like, you know, where would he be going? He's not going to have anything else here. So I think we've now got, you know, a man who's quite desperate here to keep the job is the last thing that he has. So when he got kind of choked up at a press conference, that might have actually been genuine in a way. But only as it goes to himself, <laughs> only as, as involves self-interest and how can I keep my job? And I'm really going to be upset if I lose this job. Yeah, look, uh, I, uh, we've said this before about him. How do you get how do you get that respect back once you've got to this point where you know you've overseen such disastrous and tumultuous time where people you know officers are saying that McRoberts was better 
things were better uh, under McRoberts. McRoberts went to jail for perverting the course of justice, right? Like, but people have said this. I mean, I, I don't know how this guy comes back from this. He, he doesn't have the respect. He doesn't command the respect. He hasn't earned the respect of the officers. And he's not going to get it now just because he wants to maintain the position for himself. So, yeah. Anyway, guys, I, I don't know. I like. I don't see any way out of for him. And the only thing that they can do is, is call that independent inquiry and hope that that somehow exonerates them of anything going wrong. And then maybe people will believe him. But for him to just come out and say, oh, yeah, nah, I wasn't involved. I didn't do anything. Um, yeah, I don't think people are buying it. Well, I've got to tell you, okay, of all the stories this week regarding this matter, this next story was the one that had had me nearly falling off my chair over. Yeah. And that is uh, Chalker's shock at Rolf's charges highlights the need for public inquiry as national police unions join the push. Now, uh, is this the first time that the police commissioner has expressed shock about the the charges? It's it's very unusual. So, like I said, so on Wednesday morning we run the petition story, and then Chalker comes out and he and he does talk about. We had a story about just him saying, "Oh, it's all lies and damn lies," and that's why this has happened. Uh, you know, the the petition was based on you know the opinion of those people was based on a lie that he said he was at arm's length of the investigation and the decision to lay the charge. But he said, unfortunately, a lot of these opinions based on a lie. Uh, and he said, there's, you know, please allow the relevant process to go through so you can see the truth. Uh, well, no, that's not what's happening right now because there is no process where we're going to get to see the truth. That's for sure. Nothing afoot right now. Uh, and that's what I was telling you. It said that, yeah, I, 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 he, I, he believes that he had the support. He's territory born and bred. But then he gets down here and he says, uh, it goes back to the fact that he remained at arm's length and the journalists were asking him some some pretty good questions at that point. Uh, he was at arm's length during the investigation process and the decision, the decision to charge was made by the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions and Senior Police Investigators. He denied meeting with the DPP or the Chief Minister to discuss charging Constable Rolf. And his direct quote was, I was as shocked as anybody Related to the fact, because that's how he talks, related to the fact of receiving that advice and, of course, had to immediately move into a mode of ensuring the safety of people involved, Chalker said. Uh, but anyway, wow. what we can get out there is the human talking is I was as shocked. That as doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. So now, uh, look, yeah, so we get back into the story and I mentioned the uh, the um, very controversial uh, interview that he gave with Amos Aikman at the Australian back in February 2020. And that's when he talked about being confident of information that he had. Uh, it, it was the first kind of implied that he was confident that the charges that he would get a successful prosecution. He complained about that. I don't know what was on the recordings exactly, but I think the Australian issued a bit of an apology to him and said, okay, but what you did say and what we do know um you meant was that was that he he was confident that uh it would withstand all rigor it said and every oversight the investigation right so this is a guy who was at arm's length who was shocked when he heard about it um telling them that yeah this is going to withstand every oversight including criminal court proceedings 
So this is, you know, he's he's gone in the bat there. The the headline for that story was Top NT Cop has no regrets over policeman's murder charge. Uh, Ms. Finocchiaro, so Leah, the uh, dep- uh, leader of the opposition, Leah Finocchiaro, suggested today in Parliament that Chalker's remarks at the press conference yesterday on Wednesday were contradictory, in which he said that he was at arm's length and shocked when the charges were laid. If the police commissioner was as shocked as many other territorians were, doesn't this support the need for an independent inquiry, she asked the police minister. was a good question. Yeah, and the answer was not provided because, again, they're in this whole survival mode now where there was absolutely no political interference on these investigations, is what Madison said, and then feeling a little angry about it all, decided that she would turn it on uh, Leah Finocchiaro and suggested that she was the one dividing the community by asking questions. Uh, ah. oh, that old chestnut. Yeah. 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 Was she, we, were we they offended? Heal. Were they offended by that? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. at one point. At one point, they were. It was a ridiculous yeah, uh, thing, but we'll get into that later because just on this part, though. So, yeah, dividing the community by asking questions and saying that, you know, we've got to heal. And you asking these questions of questioning us, how dare you? Because we all need to heal as a one community. The only way we're going to heal is if we I get to the bottom of this. Heal, as in H-E-E-L, as opposed to H-E-A-L. <laughs> heal, pull up yeah. their community. That's well, yeah, that's what they're doing. That's essentially what they're making us do here. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, look, the, the only way you're going to get through this healing process, as they want to call it, is... By not asking questions. Yeah, well, that's what they're suggesting. Yeah. But I'm saying the only way that we do really hey, listen, get through it is find Russia out what operates happened. very well under that situation. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. Well, we've got to find out what happened. So um, anyway, as much as they didn't want those questions, that they said they were dividing the community, those questions continue throughout Parliament today, throughout question time. Uh, and look, they, the, I Chris. thought they were really well organized this week. Sorry to interrupt you, but I yeah. need to put another ad on, add on for the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Just a flash of inspiration. You need yeah. to get the territory flag, convert the ochre into red, and put that on a st- on a t-shirt. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and the yeah. Uh, and the desert rose upside down or something. Uh, <laughs> you know, we need to have some sort of communist sort and of consequences uh, will flow underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> because that I just can't get over that. Really, yeah. that you know, we shouldn't be asking questions yeah. because it's going to divide the. My goodness, Did, is there? A, I, I know I've asked this question before. Is there such a thing as parliamentary school that you go to go to? Because I know judges go to yeah. judges' school. Well, it's like that the, that uh, Commonwealth Parliamentary Association stuff, right? Like they they're the body and they can educate the parliamentarians on what their duties is that are. The one that. But, uh, uh, that uh, Mark, Mark uh, Turner's gone to the UK? Yeah, well, apparently somebody was telling me he didn't end up going for some reason on that, but the other guy did, Monaghan, the other Brit there. But, um, yeah, look, Leon, just on that quickly, if you watched that for any period of time this week, and I take it you haven't, you would be disgusted. It was nobody knows what the hell they're doing there. The speaker does not know what they're doing in there. Um, it, it, it's just, I've never seen it. Like it's, it's complete chaos. Like nobody there knows what they're doing. The, the, the former clerk's gone. Um, it's just madness. It's chaos. Uh, a file seems to, to relish this, uh, objecting and calling out these points of order. They'll make sense. Naria kid is completely lost. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into that in a sec mm-hmm. here. I just want to finish this because, um, I, I want to point out this too. I think that. That what the CLP has done, we've been critical of them in opposition and certainly in question time. 
uh, I thought that they've been very focused and very effective this week in, in driving this agenda and getting the questions out to the, the government, even though they won't answer them. But they, they, they seem focused and well-researched. And a lot of time, times we haven't seen that, but this week we have. So, look, the questions were kind of being sprayed from all over, but on this particular topic all afternoon here in Question Time today, uh, they'd also asked why, and I think I brought that up earlier, why Chief Minister Michael Gunnard met with Chalker the day before Chalker was sworn in as police commissioner, which was the day after the shooting death of Kumanjai Walker. Gunner said uh, he, he started laughing about it, like just very smugly laughing and saying, I meet with police all the time. So what? Um, mm. Yeah, so that's just his kind of attitude. Uh, member for Brennan, uh, Mary Claire Boothby. So she got up and said, look, uh, Chief Minister, the Police Federation of Australia, so that's the national peak body for police unions with 63,000 members has in fact backed the CLP calls for an independent inquiry. Um, so that's actually something now. We don't know where the NTPA stands on it, but it appears, and, and, and I can add to that Paul McHugh is the treasurer. We've sent questions here tonight, so we'll have answers some Friday and people can read it when this comes out. But Paul McHugh, the president of the Anti-Police Association, is the treasurer on this federal group. Uh, so Police Federation of Australia. So we see exactly where the NTPA is on this and the CLP. And I couldn't get anyone from the Police Federation today. But uh, the CLP said in Parliament that they have come out and backed their calls for the independent inquiry. Uh, and then she said, uh, getting back to what you said, Pete, if you have nothing to hide, she told Gunner, why are you refusing an independent inquiry? And it was something along the lines of, and why are you not listening to 63,000 police officers from across the country now who want an independent inquiry? Uh, again, Gunner refused, uh, to, to call that independent inquiry and said, Territorians, this is, this is the part that he's missing, and we got to get into this. He said, Territorians should just have, quote, trust and confidence in our justice system. He says there are checks and balances all the way through this. That's why we can have confidence in our criminal justice system. We have solid, strong, solid systems and processes, and that's why this is an appalling line of questioning that calls into doubt the integrity of our police prosecutions and courts, and that's what the CLP are doing. Now... This is, we know that people are questioning. True. Yeah. What? That is not true. What he said there wasn't true. I mean, the, the police themselves are coming out and asking for an inquiry. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Everybody is. The, 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 the loss of the confidence that Territorians have in these institutions. It's from government. Yeah, it's from government, but it's because they're not doing anything. Like, we, we, <sighs> When, like, Gunner in, in this has made his own argument for why he needs to do an independent inquiry, because the public needs to have faith in these institutions. Correct. And this is shattered at this point, just Correct. completely shattered. And they're treading water at this point. They can't shake the cloud. They can't shake the accusations. The only way to do that, the only way for him to get clear air at this point is to come in, call this independent inquiry, get someone from interstate up here, some people, and let's get to the bottom of this because that's what restores confidence in those systems and we need to have confidence in, which we're losing every day that they don't take action. Correct. And the other element to that, which we began talking about last week and extends to this, is what he's saying is the exact opposite of what everybody's thinking. Mm. Because when you come out, a day or two after something like that's happened and you are so strong in the language that you use, mm. 
Everybody assumes that you know something that we don't. And then for the the verdict to be the complete opposite of what we were led to believe, Mm. everyone's completely befuddled by it. Mm. It would make 1 million percent sense to have an inquiry, lay all the cards on the table, and then we all go, okay, fair call. Yeah. Well, look, one way or the other, and this is what I wanted to say, that the gunner has never had to do this. And it looks like he's going to have to politically, the way I look at this, and I'm telling you this, that like, you know, editorially, the anti-independent wants an inquiry into this. We, we think, all of us, that, that this is needed to clear the air. Um, you know, if I, you know, if I was at the NT News, I could tell you that the independent inquiry would be called because there would be three or four front pages in a row demanding it because you can tell that this is what people are talking about. This is what people want. People, you know, politically, they need to answer to the voters and sometimes they lose sight of that. And, and, and Gunner is particularly good at not doing anything and just letting it happen and letting it roll play out. Now, the previous CLP, like I said before, they, Giles had to take action sometimes. Mm-hmm. He had to get rid of people. It was not pleasant for Adam Giles, but he was an adult and he understood how politics works. What Michael Gunner does is, no, nah, no, nah, it'll all just go away. It'll all go away. And by and doing so, remember, like I said, the CLP and Giles knew that they had to do that to respect the office and to re, to maintain that public confidence in it. it, it Gunner just doesn't care. This is he does not care about the office. He'll defile it. Does not matter as long as you know things stay the same for him. And he doesn't really care if the public have confidence in it. And every time that he doesn't take action like this, he diminishes that office and he diminishes the the institutions that we're talking about here, the democratic institutions that we need to uh, function effectively here to provide that confidence that we're living in an actual just place. Uh, So I think I think he's, he's, he's coming to this reckoning here where he's actually going to have to do something. And if it's calling this inquiry, which right now is the 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 less uh, damaging i think for him i mean ultimately it could be the the most damaging but it buys him a little bit of time and it buys him some clean clear air which he hasn't been able to get for two weeks the same with chalker the the other option is that you get rid of chalker here and say well look yeah we think you know something's happened here you know i don't know how they do that but and gunner and chalker surely are trying to protect each other but the only way that we're going to have that confidence restored is if there is an independent inquiry and Gunner's just got to man up at this point, be the leader and say, I understand this is what the public wants. This is the only way for us to clear this up. So let's just do it. But he's so far in six years been afraid to make a decision like that. Well, to quote Adam Giles, once in a while, you have to pull up your big boy's pants. (laughs) Did, yeah, did he say that or did Alison Anderson say that about him? <laughs> no, I think he said it. <laughs> I probably went both ways, but he definitely said it at one point. Yeah. So, yeah, look, uh, that, that's where we think this all has to go. But uh, just getting back to Parliament, too. So, I mean, th- this is just going to keep happening and there always seems to be things. So the CLP continued prosecuting this case here. And they said uh, you had Steve Edgington there, a member for Barclay, get up and he asked uh, Nicole Manison about the investigators who were involved in the shooting death uh, who had raised concerns over a directive to turn over Rolf's body-worn camera footage to the DPP two days after the shooting, before all the evidence had been collected. 
one detective wrote in his notes that, and this is Steve Edgington said this in Parliament, one detective wrote in his notes that he had voiced concerns that this was an abnormal situation and the members were not happy with the premature involvement of the DPP. So it came in pretty quickly. So he says, Minister, do you agree that the concerns of investigators is enough reason to support an independent inquiry? And you had two investigators who raised that issue. So again, she stuck to the stock reply if there was no political interference in the decision to lay the charge and everyone should just get lost and stop asking questions. Can I just clarify something? I know I asked you this question last week, but uh, the, the, the people in charge of the DPP at the time, yeah. are they still with the DPP? or have they- No, and that makes it very interesting. And there's going to be more on this, Liam. We're looking into some, some things here too. So it was uh, Jack Krzyzewski was the director of public prosecutions, which we understand he was directly involved in that decision and those discussions. Uh, the other one was deputy, the deputy director, and that was a guy named Matthew Nathan. Um, so back in June of last year, about three weeks before the original uh, Supreme Court uh, trial was going to begin, yeah, Kr- Krzyzewski announced his retirement that would be happening. He wasn't feeling well, so he was taking some leave and then he wasn't going to come back. And at the same time, we did a whole story about chaos because he had a lot of senior people who too. And at the same time, uh, the deputy director, Matthew Nathan, also quit a few weeks out, um, which has set the office into chaos. I mean, they, they lost their director and deputy director at the same time. Um, and that preceded, uh, uh, well, yeah, a bunch of other senior, senior uh, lawyers in, in the office of DPP had left too. So, yeah, that's, you know, there's some questions there that need to be addressed too, I think, on exactly what what they relied on when they saw the body more camera footage. You know, the other story going around, and, and, and it's not just a story, but, and I, was, and I just checked with Steve um, Edgington this afternoon when he said that. I said, Steve, are you saying, because I just heard it as I was doing other things too, and I said, you heard that um, they hadn't actually seen the footage before they they decided to make the charge. That's another thing. And then um, he said, no, well, he just said, here's what I've asked. I've asked about that, that they had concerns that that they were being told by somebody to give to hand over that just two days after before they collected all the information. We just like it's really interesting how this one has kind of stuck. Like everyone, no one knows exactly what's going on here. Like what happened in 2019 with this investigation, but we all know that something doesn't smell right. And this is it's very strange to sit back and just watch this because everybody knows something's not right here. And how do we get to the bottom? A coronial inquest into a death is not a review of an investigation by police here in this whole thing. This is this and, and the decision to lay charges and everything that we want to see. It's not going to come up in that coronel. And even if it did and they found wrongdoing, remember again it, it goes to the DPP and the police commissioner. Yeah. If the coronel found any wrongdoing, which they're not really tasked to do. So again, we get back here now. Yeah, and that's, I think, what we just put at the end of this, that um, they've been unable to get clean air here since this came down, yeah, despite repeated and, and repeatedly ruled out ordering the independent inquiry to restore the public's trust in the process. Uh, yeah, so I don't know how they move forward with this, but, well, I mean, that's it. That's the only way. You can clear the air, get this inquiry going, but I, it's just going to be so damaging for Gunner. But, 
it buys them some time, I guess. Um, either way, I mean, we can't go on like this every day. Is there going to be more stuff coming up? Yeah. Something you said the other week that uh, I was talking to someone about something the other day and it sort of crossed my mind is the fact that, you know, in this day and age, the truth always comes out eventually. So when you said it doesn't smell right, yeah. you're absolutely right. We talked about it last week. It continues this week. The truth will come out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I just know some other things that will come out too that's going to raise more questions. And yeah. The only way to deal with it is to deal with it. I'm just surprised that at this point Leon hasn't used his Hamilton quote about it, who was in the room. It was there. It was, <laughs> I just like you, I didn't have a, a spot to put it in. Ah, uh, yes. I love it. Your we comedic timing's getting better and better. We do want to know who was in the room when it happened, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're working on it. We're working yeah. on it. <laughs> well, look, let's park that for this week. Uh, no mm. doubt there'll be more to talk about next week. But um, there's been a fair bit else happening around town and uh, the young indigenous man that was shot by police in palmerston a week or so ago it's come out that he was a former dondale detainee well known to police and well known for uh, some social media exploits that are uh, derogatory to the cops shall we say chris yeah yeah that's in a mildly um this was this was uh, uh weird so you know since the beginning with this whole shooting, I mean, the, 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 the name, Chris, sorry. I was just yeah. laughing. Oh, well, I mean, this is, this, this just frustrated me. Right. So, you know, we know. Leon we was know just who, happy. It wasn't his postcode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty damn close. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. So, so this guy, so look, we, we knew, well, I mean, we had sources at the time, you know, that was the strangest thing. And I think I mentioned it last week that we had so many different reports from some very senior people that, that this, this man had died. Some were saying, others were saying, no, he's in surgery. The police were saying he's in surgery. A lot of people thought that he had died in this thing. We were saying there were conflicting reports. That's what we've always reported. I know somebody said that we confirmed he had died. That's never the case. We never said that. Um, we said there were conflicting reports and I, for one, don't trust the official statement from police. Anyway, what we know now, what happened this week is that this 19 year old had, uh, his family claims that he had come out of a coma, that he had been in a coma since the shooting. So, uh, they then, they make this statement and on, on like some Twitter account for some group. And they then said they demanded that the media refer to this man as big brother of 0830 and the NT News well no it's not fair enough <laughs> to me the NT News ran a story and he they changed said, his name by deed polo I take it yeah and they and they wrote they actually started a sentence saying big brother of 0830 his family said I was like, oh my god wow. what the hell is going on here now there is and these people are manipulating this okay there's there's respect afforded when an aboriginal person dies right and and we need to be respectful of the culture and uh look i i think a really good example of that was kumanjai walker right his name was was arnold walker who's known as that and after he died he gets this substitute name to be uh to be kumanjai now this is a respectful name um big brother of 0830 is a joke 
and he's not dead that they don't get to claim this stuff and then they're saying oh we're grieving and you have to respect the grieving what are you grieving for he's not dead these people i don't know what the hell is wrong with these people but look i talked to some people about this because i wanted to make sure that we were being culturally sensitive where we could be I, because i'm i'm making the call here no his name is peter steen and i'm going to report and call him by his name and so that's what we did i i have no idea what got in these what possessed these people to think that they could basically protect him and his past by changing his name completely and then they had the nerve to go so far as to say, and no pictures of him may be shared either. Again, as if he's an Aboriginal person who has died. Hmm. Um, this is, oh, and guess why they didn't want any photos, we figured. And I asked them that. I went to the family, too, before we ran this. And I said, is this reason, though, that you don't want the photos, really? Because he's got the F the cops to the max uh, meme that he set up or writing over his face. Um yeah, this was just absolutely. I just felt they were taking advantage of the media in this. And uh, yeah, for some reason they fell for it because, yeah, I, look, I talked to people who were saying that's not a thing. Like, this guy, this is complete bullshit. All right. Frankly, it's bullshit hmm. what they're doing. And they're, they are just trying to protect him um, from his past and, and everything else. And I just, we got to get the truth out there as best we can. That's I know that's a lofty thing to say, but in this case, I'm not. Like, could you just imagine, like, any any person who commits a crime could just say, no, I want to be called gangbanger69, and that's what you got to call me now. Like, that's essentially what they were doing in this yeah. case, given his gang name, and we're supposed to call him by that. Like, that yeah. is just so completely unacceptable. And just... Look, yeah, like I said, we we, we want to be respectful, but that goes both ways. And and this this uh, Skeen's family, they're not being respectful at all here. And they either they're they're stupid and they don't get how this works, or they're purposely being manipulative and trying to, you know, just protect. Oh, anyway, look, I and just manipulate the whole thing. Anyway, um, yeah. So we did name him, and he is he is a former Dondale detainee, and now we get into issues into that too because um, I think that that is something that that should be discussed here. Is that this is what happens? You know, we know that Dondale isn't serving these the youth when they get in there, and is this what we can expect? Like, is there any stories of the kids who've gone in there and have been rehabilitated, who've come out and do, done things? I mean, this is they've turned him out. You know, the day that he or the day before. He came out of the coma. He was scheduled to appear in court for stealing a car and aggravated, aggravated use of a stolen motor vehicle or something. So, you know, something's going on here where this is just, yeah, it gets back to, to I think, the biggest issue that we have here with youth crime um, across the territory. And we're clearly not addressing it. And now we've got this and... Um, yeah. And, you know, just what happened that day. I mean, the, the, and then this just gets crazy, too. And the cops had come out and said that uh, that they had that two officers had found Skeen. He had allegedly assaulted somebody they believed earlier in the day in that morning. And um, they tracked him down and that he had a spear and he threatened to throw the spear. And there were two cops there. And then Michael White, the assistant commissioner, said that one of them, had, uh, you know, shot their taser at him and another cops fired six shots at him 
which is sounds a little excessive. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to make light of a situation, but when I read that, the first thing I thought of was police training. Yeah. Six, six shots, of which only two hit the intended target. Well, right, you're right. That's so. That's not completely confirmed. Police would would say, "Oh, we don't know. We don't know how many." But I, we've been told by some okay. yeah, very reliable sources that it was two that hit. So where's the other four go? That there's a problem there. Yeah, especially when you're out by a school. <laughs> um, Correct. And, yeah, what would, and what would be relatively short range? You would have thought. Yeah, and we yeah, and we know now that from the training from the Rolf trial is that you shoot until you incapacitate the threat right? Okay. and, and you shoot at the center of the mass there. So it's usually the chest. Yeah. So you're shooting. Yeah. Until he stops. So if there were six shots fired, yeah, that meant the number of them missed because yeah. one or two should have incapacitated Correct. them. Correct. So, and then we've got some other, buddy, some other person here shooting off a, a, a taser. We don't know if that hit him or what happened there. Um, so this one's strange. And, you know, where has Jamie Chalker been on this one too? He's nowhere, uh, saying that the, the, the investigators told him that he shouldn't comment on this. He actually said that in his press conference the other day, cause they said, you know, where were you sure you were out golfing when this happened, Yeah, but you came back and can you not come out and give an update? Cause the police remember, like, we wouldn't have even known this until this kid's family comes out. And I shouldn't say kid, he's a 19 year old man. Yeah. He comes out and they say that he got up, but the police weren't saying anything anymore. And Chalker, so he Chalker gets asked the other day, and he said, now the investigators told me not to comment on it. Yet, for some reason, this guy comments on everything else. He's just starting with <laughs> Rolf and then going on to... Um, <laughs> Once let's not bitten, forget. twice shy, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's not forget the, the woman who brought in the, the COVID that time. And he said he was going to track her down and charge her with, with murder. For yeah, some is that the prostitute? Died. Yeah, well, um, alleged, alleged. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that, Peter, ever. We got to say that. Um, and then there, there was, well, just the spray. The guys with the chemical right and and he's oh, up yeah. there saying we're coming for you yes but now all of a sudden now i've been told i shouldn't comment on this while do the we, investigation's um, going do we have the um report back yet on what those chemicals were <laughs> we were thinking about that today we got to find out but um yeah i haven't heard anything yet so talcum powder <laughs> yeah it's not gonna be it's not gonna be deadly <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, so getting back to this, yeah, like I said, so this is something that's still going on and, and the investigation is occurring and it will be interesting to see what happens, but yeah, and look, these photos, you can see some of the photos, I don't know why they're so small on here, we got to get that address, but, um. There's a bit of a uh, anti-police overtone there, isn't there? Yes, certainly, mm. certainly there's, and you know, how much is that? Is I don't know. It's just for show, bravado. I don't that's know. That's exactly right. And, and yeah. you know, if if this uh, young fellow was in Dondale, then I'm sure there's plenty of stories to tell. But um, yeah, it's not going to set you on a on on a great road to a stress free life if you're uh, posting that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, and uh, and if you're throwing spears at police too, that's going to get you in some trouble. Yeah, so, it's not whatever. recommended. No. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that one. But anyway, at least the community knows who this is. He's not. I I refuse to call him by that other name. His yeah. legal name is Peter Skeen. That's who he is. He'll yeah. be in court sometime soon. And uh, well, he's got to answer for that one. And then look, uh, after all this, like I said to his family, we wish him a full recovery. Here, nobody of wants course. to see him dead. Of um, course. 
Yeah. And, you know, I guess where does that go from here? Now, will he be suing? We know that he had taken legal action against Ondale, alleging that some some guards had assaulted him. Yeah, uh, He wasn't successful in the first one. I'm not sure where that stands right now, though. Um, and I will find out. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, yeah, it just gets back into that whole system of um, we're failing a lot of people here. And mm-hmm. these, these youths by not giving these, getting the rehabilitation, whatever they need. Mm. All right. Well, let's get, uh, you know, we might as well stick on the um, theme of crime and head down to Alice Springs, but uh, not really because Robin Lamley is up here for sittings. Um, Labor has rejected calls for a nonpartisan crime crisis committee to look at what's going on in Alice Springs. Yes, that's right. So we know that we know they got problems down there just a little bit. Um, and we've been talking about this for so long. Uh, so yes, um, Robin Lamley said, okay. And we, we've talked about this before too, that the only way to really address this issue is that you take the politics out of it and it's got to be nonpartisan that it's got to, all the parties have to come together, the independents, the two major parties here that we have and say, okay, let's do long-term thinking here that this take the politics out. We're not voting on this. This is going to be followed by anybody who gets in. This is just the plan that we've agreed on. We need the generational change that Gunnar promised at one point and has never talked about in the last two years at all about his generational change. He completely gave up on it. Anyway, she says, okay. He's, he's waiting a generation for it to come yeah, through. Yeah, well, it's almost there. Yeah, well, yeah. So, um, so anyway, yeah. So Robin Lamley shows up in Parliament this week and she gets up first and says, uh, we need the select committee set up, nonpartisan. She wanted members of government opposition and independence on there. And let's, you know, and it was the idea, I think, was to start in Alice Springs, Central Australia. And then maybe the committee could look at up here to Darwin, Palmer, wherever, Tennant Creek, um, you know, it would kind of move around. Uh, so, but it would start in Alice Springs, where clearly there are very serious issues. So, she said, yeah, let's do this. Uh, you know, over the last five years, we've seen an escalation in crime uh, right across the NT. But she said, never so much as what we've seen in Central Australia. We can either continue to go down the path that we're on at the moment and see crime escalate and law and order deteriorate, or we can do something different. Uh, she wanted this the CLP back, this idea. They were all on board with it as well, saying, yeah, let's do this. We, we got to do something because like Robin said, what they're doing right now isn't working, right? But we can't even get an acknowledgement from the government that, that, that that's the case. That So anyway, um, yeah, they said that they wouldn't support it, basically. They did, like, they let her speak on it, which I think we were all prepared that I started writing the story that they've used their numbers to gag the bait and shut it down right away. But they actually let her talk about it. And now I was thinking about why they let her do that. It's because they don't have anything else, really. So, yeah, right, kill some time, talk about crime all you want. We're just going to come in and kill the motion. I mean, you can let a few people talk about it, but it's never going to get up. So they let her talk about it. Um, Madison said it's an important motion, but that the government would not support it because it had done a, quote, huge amount of work in the crime and justice space. So, you know, they don't need any help. It's a they good word, that space, isn't it? Yeah. It's a wonderful word, uh, space. She then repeated her previous motherhood statements that there were, of course, challenges um, in tackling crime and antisocial behavior and no silver bullet. 
Uh, we've never been a place free of crime, she said. We do have challenges. That's why we are working so hard to tackle those issues. We've done a huge amount on youth justice, she said, adding that the labor team had also contributed a huge amount in every other area impacting on crime, including health, the economy, housing, and alcohol policies. She then pledged again to do everything we can to back police to tackle crime. Um, yeah. You know, I'm starting to, for the first time, I'm starting to wonder whether unicameral parliaments actually work. Mm. Well, not, not here, maybe. <laughs> you know, there's only two yeah. jurisdictions that I'm aware of. I, probably the, I don't know what the ACT does, but... Um, yeah, I think there's... But Queensland, Queensland and the Northern Territory are unicameral, which means there's only one House of Parliament, mm. right? Uh, in every other state there are two houses of parliament and and far be it for me to suggest that we should have more politicians <laughs> but it just seems to me that there's just no checks and balances here yeah you, yeah. you know you can come in with an absolutely critical suggestion yeah. to be made uh and you know it has all the hallmarks of being sensible um and 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 you can talk about it to your heart's content and then it just doesn't get passed. Yeah, they can just use their numbers and do what they want. And that's frustrating. And it's not good for anybody. Yeah, you're right. And then this government in particular has been doing it. And uh, Robin Lamley brought up a very important issue too there about the, uh, the um, scrutiny committees, the policies, yeah. right, that, that they scrapped in 2020. So in 2016, they got elected saying we need these committees to scrutinize the policies. Um, and then in 2020, when they were reelected, they threw it up. And so they, like Robin Lamley was saying, they don't really have committees anymore. Like they have a couple of the key ones, privileges, you remember public accounts, but there should be committees set up for, for different purposes that are kind of, um, you know, not completely run by government. That's, that's how you get differing opinions here in, in parliament, right? And so, but they've not done that. They basically shut down all of those committees. So Robin Lamley's saying, let's get this police one up, this crime one up. Yeah. Can I just ask this one? We, we, we know, I mean, it's no secret that, you know, when Alf Leonardi was around, he was basically running the show, right? Mm -hmm. at, at least in the background, right? Mm -hmm. Who's running the show now? Because whoever it is doesn't seem to have a handle on what, <laughs> Westminster system of government is and, and yeah well that was a big a big um, complaint that people had made about Emily Beresford Kane who had come in from Files's office to replace Elf Leonardi as Gunner's chief of staff look I don't know they seem to be going through a lot of people there she is still in that position as chief of staff but they've gone through a couple of deputies now and yeah I yeah it's uh, yeah I mean look this is this arrogance and this attitude that they've had for quite a while but it does seem to be ramping up and getting worse now that we can basically do whatever the hell we want what are you going to do about it I mean they're not even pretending anymore to give a shit about <laughs> about this so uh so look yeah they shut her down they said um we're not going to uh to do this because we're doing so much in other places like put in the headline government knows best why would they listen to anyone else they've been mm -hmm. doing such a great job now of course the people in alice springs you know i thought the condescending thing that madison did too though i should just say was that she said 
the people of Alice Springs are amazing people. And she said that her, quote, heart is filled when she travels to the town. And I think I'd said that to Woody and he said, well, did she say if she's ventured out at night in Alice Springs? So I put <laughs> yeah. that in. She did Whenever not Whenever she goes she to the Qantas Club in Alice Springs, she just loves it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's just, that was just, they're just way out of touch with everybody here on this one. And we know their problems. Look, Rob Lamley said it, the mayor, uh, Matt Patterson down there said it. The, the, the prime minister, Scott Morrison, has said, yeah. we can't do anything until there's acknowledgement of a problem. Everybody else seems to know that there's a problem. In fact, yeah. a crisis of crime down there, except the government. Gunner's down there last week, not talking about crime, making announcements about Anzac Oval and the, um, you know, um, art, Aboriginal Art Museum yeah. and a whole precinct there, which is going to cost way more than they think, too, but or that they've claimed. Um Anyway, yeah, it, they're just completely out of touch on this one and something needs to be done. And you can't just say, oh, we've been doing a huge amount of work in this. It's huge. We've been doing the best work. You know, it's Trump stuff. Yeah. They're shooting off. <laughs> yeah. they, do, they do understand yeah. that they're, they're aiming for lower numbers and not higher ones, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Chris, how know. do you think this is going to play out in the election? I mean, I'm just, yeah, uh, it's, it's, can you just refresh my memory? Who's who's running in Lingiari? Uh, so you've got Damian Ryan, who was brought up by, he's the former mayor of Alice Springs, who was brought up by Gunner in Parliament this week, saying what a terrible guy he is. So it tells me they might be a little worried about him. <laughs> he's running against Marin Scrimjaw. Now, down in Alice, I don't think they would even need a poll to tell them that they're, they're not very well liked down there, Labor. And so he shows up this week to announce this $150 million for this precinct, right? This uh, thing that's been talked about for five years. I think it was even the previous CLP government first announced it, that, that museum, the art museum. Um, right. Uh, so he's saying, oh, this is finally going to happen now that Damien Ryan's not around in the mayor chair, in the mayoral chair, uh, but he is now running there. So, yeah, you got to think that that's involved politically, that that's here's some money and we're doing this for federal labor. I'm sure Scrimjaw was there. Uh, I don't think that's going to be enough to swing anything down there that way anyway. Um, yeah, now what the remote what the remote seats do, I mean, we just don't know, but yeah. Yeah. What about the Senate? Uh, yeah. Who do they got? Uh, Jacinta and um, who took over from Sam McMahon. And um, uh, who am I missing here? Who was it? Melon Deary McCarthy for Labour. Right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And Warren's. No, no, no Warren's Snowden, Snowden's gone. Lingiari, yeah. He was a member of Parliament. Yeah. So, I mean, he was somehow always, he always managed to get back in. So, oh, yeah. Like, how, that how was that possible given the size of Alice Springs? Yeah, and he had some trick. Well, it was, it was, yeah, the Bush folk that would get him in there, but I don't know what he's ever done for anybody in the Bush. I don't know why they kept voting him back in. Um, right. Yeah, anyway, it's going to be interesting to watch down there, and they're clearly Labour concerned um of losing that here so um mm, mm. uh but yeah and the crime thing is just they're just so fed up and sick of gunner and i think you know we'll get into another story about what happened after hours and yeah the right. casino down there yeah so before we do that though um <laughs> this this would be a shock to everyone. An independent MLA who raised the crime crisis uh, has been banned from Parliament for twenty four hours. Yeah, that's right. Oh, so. Joel. <laughs> oh, Joel. Yeah. A member for Wentworth, you know, he yeah. uh, strikes again. <laughs> yeah, we're still looking into whether or not he actually followed the proper 
process and all this, right? Because um, he doesn't know what he's doing in that chair, but neither does. The well, speaker. he's still learning, Chris. Yeah, right. He's still still learning. That's a, good way. That's a nice way. Practice, way. Uh, practice shots are in front of goal is he, Pete? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, we've got. Yeah, so look, this debate, like I said, they, they allowed this debate to occur, which was shock to everybody. Um, and occur it did for a good portion of the day, uh, including past question time. Um, so what happened, though, was that at one point during the afternoon, debate got heated. They were talking. I think Robin Lamley had, said, had been interjecting with somebody talking. And apparently Deputy Speaker Joel Bowden had said to her, um, you know, you're out of here. You keep interjecting. You're gone for an hour. She said that she didn't hear him say that because and then what I saw in the answer the next day, just to double check it was that he had said something to her. And then very shortly after that, he said, why are you still talking? And she said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, now I'm throwing you out because you disobeyed here. You disregarded and disrespected the speaker. Bit of power, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I kicked her out for 24 hours. Wow. Um, yeah, and this was just, you know, they're supposed to get, there's supposed to be debate in there, and they're going to be people interjecting when they're talking about issues they're passionate about. And no one can say that Robin Lamley isn't passionate about fixing crime in Alice Springs or doing That's something true. to make it better. Um, so she gets in there, and I think she was trying to get someone else to talk, actually, at one point. I had heard her because I'm typing and doing other things, and I'm listening, and I remember her saying, no, let let this member speak on this about central Australia. I want to hear them speak. And then he says, stop interjecting and you're gone for 24 hours. So, um, yeah, she had said to us after, uh, the government was clearly hell bent on undermining me and my motion in parliament today, shutting me down and gagging debate is always their default position. Cause ultimately they get rid of her. She wasn't even allowed in there when they voted on the motion, her own motion that she brought forward to, to strike this committee to look at crime solutions she wasn't even allowed in the in the parliament on the floor to, to vote uh yeah uh she you know bowden yeah not really has explained himself here in this uh i'm trying to see if he even if we had anything that he said he just basically said yeah you're disrespecting the house and you're out of here and Robin says, if sticking up for my town and fighting to get the best possible deal means getting thrown out of Parliament, so be it. But I don't really want to be in a place where she's getting thrown out of Parliament for sticking up for her own electorate here and trying to get the government to pay attention to something. But yeah. if they're going to let the debate occur and then they're going to take shots where they can or, or run power trips where they can. Now, the question comes down to, and I did see in Hansard, it looked like it was put to a vote. And that's the only way you could do it. So it is not just Joel. About and the deputy speaker threw her out, but it was every Labour member and then voted to to back that decision to throw her out for 24 hours too. That that that's excessive. That's, that's harsh, excessive, isn't it? Was, yeah, just ridiculous. She she was heard to say an hour. Why don't you give me a decent time? <laughs> yeah. So after um after all of that, um, we could safely say that Alice Springs had been effed by the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Leon. They then proceeded to tell them. <laughs> to their faces. Where to go? What the heck is going on? Can you tell me that, please? Uh, this one. So we've heard about this guy. Don't know him. 
I never met him. Uh, Kim Morgan is his name. So he's a press secretary to Gunner. So Gunner's spokesman probably should have been in the headline. Gunner's spokesman accused of telling an Alice Springs businessman to F off. Um, and this is uh, this guy. So uh, apparently this is on St. Patrick's Day. So it was Thursday, last Thursday. And there's a businessman. So so Robin Lamley brings this up in Parliament when she comes back. And it was about 6.30, I think, last night, last evening. And she says, um, they're talking about a lot of things. And she said, you know, I'm bringing this up because this is, seems to be how this government operates and what they accept in terms of conduct. And so she then proceeds to tell the story about how a uh, businessman had contacted her to tell her the story. And, that, you know, he's a respected guy in town. Um so she says now that the businessman had approached Gunner after running into him at Lassiter's Casino last Thursday. So remember, Gunner's in town to make this, these funding announcements. Um, so clearly he's, he's, he's at the casino for a drink, maybe a meal. Um, this business guy runs into him. Uh, Robin Lamley said in Parliament, he shook his hand. He was not rude or aggressive. He had a direct discussion with the chief minister about his concerns around crime in Alice Springs, and the chief minister moved off. But the man with the chief minister told this person to F off, not once, but twice. And she identified that person as the staffer, Kim Morgan, who is listed as a press secretary of the chief minister. He started in the role last February uh, after managing communications for the NBN for two years according to his LinkedIn page. So, Uh-oh. wasn't <laughs> <laughs> one yeah, of your guys, was he, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you. It's uh, not a good reference. Yeah, I don't like that. That's not really where what you're expecting with the media, the press secretary, media advisor uh, working for the MBN. Anyway, look, I, I don't know about this guy, but um, uh, yeah, he... He is alleged to have done this. Now, Lamley said it was disgraceful. Uh, Lamley said this question, the question I need to ask the chief minister is this. She says, do Darwin people get told to F off by your minders or is that exclusively for people in Alice Springs? <laughs> and uh, question. Nice. Yeah, it was great. And, you yeah. know, she's like up there really going fast on this stuff, too. And anyway, so she says, you know, if you were if you were delivering and truly listening and responding to the crime crisis in Alice Springs, I would not be mentioning this story. In fact, I feel disgusted by it. But it is a real story. And I would like the chief minister to provide an explanation as to why he seems to condone this sort of outrageous and rude behavior. Uh, Gunner's office, we went to them. Uh, refused to respond to our questions about the alleged incident. Uh, they did release a statement to the ABC and the anti-news, purportedly from Morgan, who said he and Gunner were only at the casino to have a beer and watch the football. I categorically deny the accusations made under parliamentary privilege by Robin Lamley, he said. I simply told the person that we were there to have a beer and watch the football. He reacted poorly to this and told me on at least six occasions that he was going to to ruin me during two subsequent conversations where he approached me. Morgan claimed the businessman had since contacted him through, quote, other digital carriage ways in what I consider to be a <laughs> harassing manner. 
I think he's been to the uh, police commissioner's uh, dictionary to get that one. Well, I was thinking, is this like the MBN? Though? Is that what they yeah, call it? So through Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this guy, uh, his statement uh, then incorrectly dated the incident as having occurred on Thursday, March 18th. The Thursday was actually March 17th. It may seem trivial, but... That was know, probably the most troubling thing to me about that. <laughs> yeah. Really? Like, but what day is he talking about that? Yeah. Like, it's not a reliable it's, statement. It seemed conveniently hmm. conspicuous that it was wrong. That's oh, what I wow. thought. Even Scott McConnell weighed into this one. Correct. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so Lamley puts it up on Facebook this morning saying, is it ever okay for public servants to tell members of the public to have off? Uh, there were a lot of people commenting. Former MLA Scott McConnell posted that he had seen similar conduct when he was on the fifth floor of Parliament. Yeah. And it, his line was, I used to get the same treatment from staff members on level five, even when I was a member of the Labour Caucus. <laughs> so they are bipartisan about this kind of stuff, I guess. I'll tell anyone to have off up there. I've got to say, for a guy who's notoriously media shy, media shy Scott mm. McConnell's getting quoted a lot in the last week or so. <laughs> uh, Scott's always been good. He's got a yeah. good perspective on everything. That guy does. Gets it, and that's why he got kicked out of the gunner government, because he actually had ideas. They could tell he got it. Yeah, and yeah. see things improve. Oh, anyway, he, he yeah. has some really, really great stories, uh, Chris. If you can oh, yeah. get, get him to... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, no, yeah, no. Talk I talked to, to Scott. Yeah. Get him to sign oh, the release order. He should be all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, ask him... Ask you the Birkenstock story. Okay. Yeah, All I right. heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Birkenstock. All right. Uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Um, anyway, so yeah, Lamley said in Parliament that the allegations she brought it back further exposed that toxic culture on the fifth floor that I think is pretty widely and well documented at this point. Uh, I do question the integrity of the people you choose to have around chief minister. She said this is a pattern of behavior. She said, uh, in Parliament, we have had all sorts of incidences with your staff over the last five years. You sacked Elf Leonardi for what you claim was mismanagement. But from our perspective, you threw him under the bus. Ryan Neve, I understand, is possibly being investigated for corruption regarding travel during caretaker period. Kent Rowe is a former chief of staff who's on trial facing historical sex charges. And now we have this gentleman upstairs, Kim Morgan, telling people in Alice Springs to F off in public places. It's disgraceful. <laughs> I'm sure gentlemen had to be in quote marks, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Didn't say in the handset. Um yeah. So, and then, and then we thought we'd throw in too. Let's not forget about the current member for Daily, Darren Young, who was involved in that incident outside Parliament House in February last year, uh, when he was a fifth floor staffer in which he allegedly swore and threatened CLP MLA Josh Burgoyne, telling him, watch what you say. Uh, despite the government saying his contact at the time, conduct in no way represents the values of our labor government. Young was pre-selected as the party's candidate in the daily by-election six months later. Yep. So, and he's now, changed. Now, <laughs> reformed. Uh, didn't uh, Gunner drop the F-bomb on the ABC? Uh, was he in Alice Springs when he did that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So he only yeah. does it when he's in Alice Springs. <laughs> <laughs> Leon, you super slow to you. No, no, no. What, uh, what was that in relation to? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, geez, I'm trying no, to. Knowing that they didn't have their seven-second delay on? It's probably crime. It was probably crime. Yeah. <laughs> it must have been crime. <laughs> it to be. Yeah. Oh, uh, well. All right. So, um, yeah, we don't know. So, Gunner, so, yeah, the guys denied it. Now, it would be interesting 
because it's at a casino and people are having beers and it's not yeah. loud and there's uh, watching. On, if there on were St. Witnesses. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Well, it'd just be interesting if there were witnesses. I'm sure that there were people in that place who were or probably like, close by. CCTV footage. Highly likely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just see what comes of this. So I think um, Kim Morgan here uh, made, made some yeah, defenses here that he can't back up. But anyway, we'll... We will see where it goes. That sort of name makes it sound like I reckon you'd be a really good car salesperson. I think it's got a really good car salesperson's <laughs> name to it. I'm not changing yeah. it from his current job. I'm just saying. It no. no. looks slick on a business card. Yeah. Chris, ENT <laughs> records a population decrease in 2021. What's happened? Because that kind of, in a way. Um, I mean, what's happened? We've just well, talked about uh, the reason why it happened. Yeah. <laughs> Crime, <laughs> government is not working Specifically for people, from Alice Springs, is it? Broken institutions, <laughs> lack of confidence. Well, you know. we did go on a bit of a real estate run last year, so I'm interested to uh, see what the drop was because I know a lot of people move back to the Territory as a safe haven Yeah, with yeah. all the COVID stuff going on. That's what we found surprising about it. So they had lost uh, 2,000 or we'd lost 2,930 people to interstate migration. But, of course, you're getting some others come back up. It all equaled out. And then with births and deaths that we had a decrease of uh, 0.2%, which worked out to 44 people. <laughs> oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah. So we're not seeing any gains now. Uh, yeah, and we thought too. I think, um, like, look, this is just kind of the hard data from Department of Treasury and Finance that they put out. Yeah, ENT, um, and I believe that they said in here, and this was the September quarter. It's highly volatile. The the territory's net interstate migration is highly volatile, reflecting the relatively young and transient population. The department said. Uh, net interstate migration is being back, impacted by the ABS recently making COVID-19 related methodological adjustments to its treatment of Medicare source data used to estimate interstate migration flows. So yeah, they're saying something's going on there with COVID, but we thought that, you'd, yeah, that there would have been more here and they're saying overall it's Correct. 44 or less. So yeah, where does it start to balance out, right? Because I think it is in everybody's minds that we're booming that there's a lot more people here. Yeah. Well, I can tell you firsthand it's not true. Um, And it's interesting that it's not booming. And it's interesting because um, there certainly was a there was a run up to June 30, uh, 2021, with regards to real estate, and there'd been a a bit of a run from 2020, uh, but. As soon as the incentives were removed from the government, uh, the market basically stopped. Uh, sales were still going through, but you could see it wasn't shooting for the stars anymore. Uh, there was a lot more negotiation taking place in, in every property sale that, that I was a part of, and you could just see that the steam was was really receding quickly. Um, and as a natural result of that, of course, you know, part of that is, is there weren't that many new people moving up. There were lots of calls from people interstate saying they were going to move up, but many of those didn't eventuate into anything. And there were people who left, but there were still people who stayed because they wanted to go interstate, but they weren't feeling confident at that point in time. Yeah. But I reckon if you if you go back to 2018, when the market was at its worst, 2018, 2019, well, that's interesting. So that means we, we had a decrease in population and then we really haven't had much of an increase since. 
Yeah. That's, that's four years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which tells us that like a lot of the initiatives the government taking just isn't working. So what do we yeah. need to do? And like boundless possible. Correct. Exactly. However many millions was wasted on that. Um, that's right. Yeah, we just had the. Uh, see any of that, Pete? I know. We we got we got to see some desist, though, Leon. <laughs> 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 yeah. We did too from tourism and the the, <laughs> the Brogo. They actually really that. didn't want the help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll keep watching this. But yeah, that, that is that was definitely one of those interesting things that we found in some data this week that we thought people should know about. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, look, this is a very big story. Um, and it's, it's you know, it's just, I guess, a sign of, of how many big stories that you've got going on, Chris, that, we, you know, this is reaching the bottom of the barrel here now. <laughs> but um, there are major safety concerns with the TIO Stadium that have been revealed ahead of the grand finals. Yeah. Uh, including that it may, that these issues may impact life and safety, according to the engineer's report. Now, last week we, uh, we discussed that a little bit more about how, uh, you know, the ICAC's investigating them. They knew for at least two years when we started asking questions, the TIO stadium doesn't have an occupancy permit and therefore it isn't allowed to have people inside. In fact, it's legal for that. So what they did, uh, the minister had gazetted this, you know, made this ministerial order, I guess, that uh, would exempt it, uh, the stadium, from needing to have the occupancy permit, thereby permitting people to enter a building that we do not know is safe. If it, look, if it was safe, it would be certified. It would have an occupancy permit. Essentially, that's the simplest way to put it. So we know this building isn't officially registered as safe. So... <laughs> um, so the minister makes this order. People can go in for the grand finals. Now, all of this, again, went back to a story that we had done two years ago, but a story that we had done last year where we had FOI'd um, this engineer's report. And we had it. It was so heavily redacted. Like, I don't know if that cost us 700 bucks to get. And we waited a while. It was, you know, they had taken out just about everything. Except we knew that there were issues with the fire hydrant pressure, which, you know, I'm told by the industry guys, it's pretty, pretty serious when you're getting into these kind of big stadium deals where, you know, this this could have disasters. This would affect people's lives if you, if you don't have the right water pressure up there. So this week, last week, we, we finally got an unredacted copy of that engineer's report so we could show what else was actually... Um, the government was concerned about it. In fact, the government was so concerned about it that they redacted it uh, and kept the public from knowing what the concerns were at that stadium. And then they they go and set this thing to give themselves an exemption so they can let people in. So, yeah, look, I, I, and the way this is going and yeah, the minister, I don't know what she was thinking about this because like we said, I mean, it's essentially that they know they were guilty, right? Two years ago, before an AFL, those two big matches, they had to put out a statement saying that, oh, it's safe, it's safe, just trust us, it's safe, everybody go ahead. Well, but they didn't gazette it then to give itself an exemption, so they knowingly allowed people to enter this building against the law for this long, and then they gazette it so that they, you know, they think they're not breaking the law now, but again, it's not safe. So what the report, uh, uh, the safety concerns identified in the report were, uh, uh, were and now this was done, and I, I think we just had to say that this is not by any means complete. It's uh, 
of visual non-invasive inspection from late 2020 on the main grandstand building. And it was finalized last March, shows serious concerns around electrical issues, water supply, including the risk for contaminated drinking water there, uh, lighting and emergency exit problems. We know that one's yeah, bad, uh, as well as previous reported fire hydrant flow issues that fail the minimum national standard and, uh, you know, creating the potential to put lives at risk in the event of a fire. Why they, you know, the rectification too, we should say some of the problems are considered to be of high priority according to the report, but we also know that it doesn't appear that they did it. I mean, if they had taken this, and now this is a year ago, they got the finalized report, but even the year before that or the August before that, they knew what some of the issues were back in August 2020. They just didn't do anything. They clearly did not do anything in that time. And I, like, it just baffles me. Like, how, why? Like, I guess they thought, oh, it's always been there. You know, it's been there since 1991. Um, sure, nothing's going to happen this weekend there. I mean, it's just reckless that they did this, but they knew it was wrong because then they made the minister go and exempt it. So, look, yeah, there's going to be a lot more. We know the matter is being, currently being investigated by the ICAC, and it was the first time that the commissioner had come out and said that he was investigating a sitting minister for her involvement in this. He made it very clear. Eva Lawler. Yeah, remember when we we talked about that. And like, this is why this is pretty big. And, you know, Eva Lawler just thinks she could, she, no, no, it's fine because, you know, that's how the uh, labor operates. Remember when they changed the law so Dan Murphy's couldn't sue them? And then you had the Macrillo's development in the gardens and he wanted to sue and Lawler changed the law there so he couldn't sue. Like, it's this is what they do. Shocking, Chris. It's I mean, abuse of power. I know you say that uh, almost flippantly. No, I'm, but it's, but it's I'm just, not. it's so yeah. terrible. I mean, it's, this is not a, this is not democratic at all. No, no, everything they're doing, everything they're not doing. Uh, yeah, look, just watching Parliament this week and how they behave and conduct themselves. Yeah. Uh, and this is just another part of it. They just think we're above the law here. We can just go and write, write ourselves out of being held accountable for anything. That's what they're doing. So look, there's, there's more to come on this. And, um, yeah, but it, it's always good. And I always like these kind of stories where we can show people straight up. This is what the government doesn't want you to know. Like yes. they've clearly redacted this. We think you should know because it's actually about your safety in this issue. So, like, you know, maybe nothing was going to happen. Nothing did happen that time when the grand finals were just like we we were rushing to get this out Friday morning. So people knew before they went there this weekend. But and nothing happened, and that's great that nothing happened. But people should be aware of what the risks are, so they can protect themselves when there. Now you know that there's issues with the emergency um, exits and the lighting. Well, that's an issue, and you maybe want to sit somewhere where you know you're going to have access to be able to get outside better. The other one that's really serious is this electrical stuff, these electrical panels. This is really not good. What I read in that report, and um, it doesn't appear that they've done anything on that. So. Um, yeah, but have people should Have you been able know. to speak to anybody? Uh, have you provided that report yeah. to anybody and, and got some sort of estimate of costs as what, what it would to fix? Oh, well, that's a good question. I'll, let me do that. I have talked to people in the industry. They, of course, don't want to put their name to it because I can't quote anybody in the story by name because they're worried of yeah, reprisals here, reprisals mm-hmm. if, if the government finds out that they've been criticized by somebody. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, sooner or later, though, I think the whole... 
industry needs to start saying this isn't good enough. We can't let Meldrum and you know Lawler and Kirkman here just basically do whatever they want here and put people's safety at risk. Um, and that's what this is. So anyway, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep pushing now. There's there's definitely some more stuff here. I'd be interested to know. Is. I mean, whether it's a yeah, and of course, yeah. or, you know, hey, you know, what would it cost? Because that would tell another story. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like I mean, is this a money thing? Is this the reason why they're not doing it, or is it because it's just gross incompetence? I mean, yeah, what? yeah, that's that's the thing we're still racking our brain about. Like, I don't think it would cost that much, but maybe it is something where they just like this isn't even all the problems, right? Like I said, this is just this visual inspection into these things. There could be way bigger problems that involve mm-hmm. like demolition, maybe needing to happen. I don't know, and that's the cost benefit they're trying to do. Do we repair these things, but we know that there's something bigger here that we'll have to demolish in a couple of years, or do we demolish now and build something new? Then you can't afford that either. Yeah. So yeah. already talking about building the stadium down near the duck pond anyway. So uh, there could be reasoning behind it. Watch this space, as they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, um, as if we sort of hadn't hit enough controversy for the week. New powers for the chief health officer were introduced to Parliament this week. <laughs> yeah, and we've got to spend a lot of time just on this one, I think. But we kind of. I think we kind of talked about it in one week. Yeah. Um, so basically what they're doing, yeah, we have talked about this before, that, that there's no there's no public health emergency anymore. We're getting 200 cases of COVID a day. There's a couple of people in the hospital with pre-existing conditions. There's a, uh, unfortunately, a, a man in the 70s who died today. He had pre-existing health conditions. There's no... There's no real public health emergency, but yet the declaration is there. And because the declaration is still in, in order or in effect, um, the chief health officer has all these rules, all these powers that he's been given. Uh, so the government extended it. It was just I think it was just last week, March 18th was when it, um, uh, it expired. So they've extended it for another three months. Although, like, I mean, it was like the first time that they did it, they had to prove that there was a public health emergency. Now, they just roll it over forever. But people are saying, well, wait a second, there isn't anything here. So they say, okay, we'll roll it over now. But what we're going to do is we'll just bring in this legislation that gives all of these powers to the unelected chief health officer uh, for the next two years. So he can still do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Uh, uh, and there's no, and this is the thing too, there's just no accountability for this. So one of the things that the CLP had introduced today that they had talked about weeks ago is this guy's supposed to provide a report at the end of the emergency health declaration, right? And before this, they were, they were only supposed to go for five days and then the chief health officer would supply a report of what happened. But then they realized, well, it's this pandemic, the, the COVID. So let's, we'll have to do it three months at a time. So they've been doing that. But he doesn't have to give a report into anything until it's completely done. Now, part of the legislation that they change means that he doesn't at any point, really. I think it's at the end of the two years here. He'd have to do some little things, little uh, notes, informal um, mini reports to a minister, maybe about something that he's done. But then that doesn't have to be done for 90 days after whatever it is, whatever action he takes. And then it's another 60 days before that's even tabled in Parliament. And... Really, I, I can't think of a time when that would be used, but 
Um, I think the, the, so we've got accountability issues here with this, but we've also got this idea that this man does have these powers to force vaccinations. So remember, if that emergency health uh, uh, declaration is, li is lifted, all of those chose powers to do the uh, uh, vaccinations are gone. We can't force anybody anymore. All of his powers are gone. He, he can mandate mask wearing, forcibly remove citizens from homes and other areas, restrict movements of citizens, search homes and seize items, and use, uh, was in the uh, draft bill that they put up technology, use technology to assist with contact tracing. Uh, and all of this can be done now, even as the public health emergency ends. The police would also continue, files made an issue that the police will also continue to be given power to use force to carry out the chose orders. Uh, and the courts, of course, would be responsible for imposing punishments on people who resist. Uh, yeah, the changes, yeah, we'll, like I said, no longer required to provide a full report on how decisions have been made since the pandemic began. Uh, and would now inst instead inform a minister about individual actions in a summary. That's what they're calling it within 90 days. Um, so the CLP came out and said, look, these new powers are unheard of, first of all, um, for an unelected official uh, and is now being done with less accountability. Uh, Bill Yan said it's like the government is actually trying to hide the, de the decisions they've made for territorians by changing the reporting requirements. It's been two years of a public health emergency. And we've yet to see a report by the chief health officer. What's also evident is that there's been extraordinary power provided to the CHO in relation to actions that he may, he may take. He said the entire emergency management of COVID by this government since 2020 has been managed in parliament, by parliament and the ministers. We are now going to give the exact same powers that were normally reserved for ministers to the CHO for two years with effectively no reporting requirements. So, the government had basically said, oh, well, he doesn't need to do these formal written reports because he responds to media questions and, and attends press conferences often on a daily basis. Well, we got an issue with that because he doesn't answer our questions and we're not allowed to attend these things. And there are so many times in there when we've watched them and they're just like racking our minds and like, how, like, why are you not asking this? This is such a simple question and it would be everything and people want to know this. And, you know, these guys, it was all a private party and we haven't been included. But anyway, you know, and I, that's what we said when we first started. They banned us in the middle of a pandemic when getting information the public's crucial. They're like, no, nah, you guys can't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't really find that accountability, uh, any form of accountability, what they're doing, their little side and pony, dog and pony show that they got there. I think they need, they need to be doing some formal reports and we need to be hearing this guy and just explaining to people what's going on at this point. Surely he can do that. Uh, yeah. Now, yeah, Files said that now they expect they'd roll it over for, for 90 more days, but expect it will end on May 17th, the, the public health emergency declaration, but that these rules will be in place for the next uh, two years if they pass this legislation. She said, it's important for the Northern Territory as we enter the next phase that we continue to live with the virus, that we do need to have powers to allow us to stay on top of COVID-19 and to allow certain public health measures to remain in place. She said, we can, we can cease that public health emergency and by doing so would renege all CHO directions. So we required this transitional period that our current legislation does not allow for. Territorians need to understand that the emergency aspect is ending. 
but COVID is still within our community. Uh, yeah, so... So is that a legitimate uh, excuse for this? Well, it seems a little strange. You know, like I heard the CLP today were saying that I think Victoria was the only other state that tried to do this and it was quite unpopular down there. Um, I don't see this. Like if, if something happens, you call the emergency thing again. I mean, why are we giving Heggie or whoever is acting in his authorized officers all of these powers? That There's just a potential for things here. Like if, if it becomes bad again, I mean, why not enact a public health emergency? Because then you'd have to prove it again. Hmm. Um, this is very strange. Is it another case of uh, just absolving themselves of having to make any decisions? I mean, uh, might be. And look, you've got two years too, so we might not even get any answers of what happened in this whole period until after the next election. We're looking at two years now on this. And then by the time they do reports, they've got 90 days and 60 days and all this stuff. So... You know, if there were issues that had come up there to for everybody to learn, for the public to know how these decisions were made, I think now looking back on it, that would be valuable information. And the government seems to be blocking that, but at the same time, still continuing this to give uh, an unelected official uh, powers. Uh, you know, we had um, uh, this guy, Jeff James, a retired NT lawyer, who had been looking into the delegation of powers under the Act and how that works with the show who said, you know, to speak of two years of transitional powers is what the government is proposing to manage society uh, being handed over to a public servant is an anathema to the traditions of the English speaking world. He said the very words are code for dictatorship. Um, Gee. Yeah. <laughs> very cynical. Hmm. Now we do so, get our money from China, but, you know, come on. Well, yeah. And look, I mean, the vaccine mandates here too, right? I mean, where are we going with this when we get, but now these powers are here that he can force people to do this. He, he remember he was saying he's up to his fifth or he's looking to get his fifth lucky number five. <laughs> are you Heggie? Like, come on guy. Like, come on. I'm not taking, I'm never taking five vaccines for one thing in a year. That is so crazy to me. Like yeah, yeah. that doesn't even make sense anymore, but now we're letting this go around and tell us all how many shots we have to take for this. Cause they've given them the powers to do this i think this is just look they've we're at this place we did all right take your bow get off the stage here all right take your um, third take yeah. your third jab and bugger off stage yeah. left I, 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 I mean hasn't hasn't uh, dr heggie done a good job you yeah well, that's what i'm saying take a bow and get out of here because at this point i mean if there's something else that happens but i think we're all done i think we're all tired of this i think it's just we're all back to normal here whether or not the government sees that or believes it or Aggie believes it, like the rest of us are saying, yeah. You know, Files was still random. Raven saying, no, Queensland, Queensland, they had 10% increase in COVID cases. Who gives a shit? You know, <laughs> like, honestly, do you think people are lying at she home? She was offended saying, by it too, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going out because there's been a 10% spike in COVID cases. Oh, so it went from 100 to 110. Like, you know, yeah. honestly, like we're all through this. We're past this. And, and to, to hold on to these powers and give the control like this, I don't even get what the end game is for the government. Certainly it's to control this stuff, though. And, and I can tell you that like there's, there's record numbers in Victoria and New South Wales right now. Mm. And you literally wouldn't know it existed. Everything's open for business. Yeah, because we're like, all right, we're going to get attendance sick. at football. It's like, okay, apparently there's a pandemic, but no one cares. Yeah, look, I think we're just at that point. But we're they, just at that point. Let's get the, sick. We the thing that we'll say is, is in addition to that, um, and, you know, we've obviously had 
couple of high-profile people pass away in, in recent times, and they're saying that that is likely related to COVID. Um, and and the methods they used in order to, you know, get better quicker. But what they yeah. are saying is if you've had three jabs and you get it and you don't try any trickery like jumping on the ventilator too early and stuff like that, then you're going to get through it and you're going to be all right. It might be a bit unpleasant for a few days, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, I, I had two shots and got it. It was fun. Yeah. yeah it's nothing. It's a couple of days off work, eh, hey, Chris? Well, no, I worked from home. Actually, oh, it was still the weekend where the was the worst part, but it was just a cold. It was a cold. I went still major work. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have to. But yeah. Like just to keep the paper going here. Yeah, anyway. of course, of course. Yeah. Look, Had a lot of help um, with Woody though. That was good. Yep. Let's uh move on to our final story for this episode. Oh, Chris. the marathon's coming to an end here. It oh, is, yeah. it is. <laughs> I know that there'll be people on there uh right on mowers. <laughs> quaking in their boots knowing that it's going to finish. I hope you've finished your mowing at this stage <laughs> or are just about to. Chris, the government seeks consultants to evaluate social and economic impacts of a possible NT AFL team. Yeah. How exciting is this for you guys, huh? Amazing. You love it? I love We're it. We're going to get a team. We're going to get a team. It doesn't make any financial sense. Oh, no. And we can't afford it, but we're going to get a team. Well, well, we had the NT Thunder, and they were uh, like a successful football team. Financially, they were a disaster. An AFL team is going to be next level expensive. Yeah. So, look, remember, I think we we had spoken about this before, that when this idea came up, it's basically the idea that it's it's financially unviable. It's just not going to happen. But. What if it wasn't just a team, but it was like a, a social welfare program of some sort, essentially, is the thinking here that oh, this beautiful. is what is the social uh, what is the social ramifications of this? So um, so what does so we, we find this just today, this morning, uh, the government puts out its tenders for the week here for the day, um, and they're looking for the consultant to undertake the social impact study. Uh, including how it could enhance the resilience and long-term financial viability of the territory. Okay, right. Uh, while considering, quote, the impact on the level of democratization in the NT and the gendered division of production-orientated labor and the impact on fauna connectivity. What? That gets better, Pete. Listen. Uh, Territory Families, Housing Communities uh, released a tender for the consultant to evaluate the socio-economic value of the proposed team, including, quote, investigating the functioning and integrity of government agencies, the impact on fauna connectivity, vibration, and the terrestrial climactic habitat. It was unclear what vibration meant in all of that. Wow. Yeah, but that <laughs> our, our that, terrestrial climatic it, it could be the vibration of all the uh, supporters stamping and clapping as uh, as uh, they're celebrating their wins or losses. <laughs> that's that's right. But the way that they throw it into like the fauna stuff and the terrestrial climatic, anyway, um, yeah, it will also the consultancy now will also be considering considering the gender division of production orientated labor instead of quality. The functioning and integrity of government agencies, the level of yeah, democratization. Uh, there was 
the burden of national debt and the loss of European and indigenous cultural artifacts is also part of the process. They, they do understand that Territorians want a football team that wins, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't want the players out checking out the flora and fauna during the games. Yeah. Um, oh, they're also exploring that property prices. Um as well as taking into account of potential autonomy, stigmatization, or deviance labeling, feelings in relation to the project and intergenerational impacts where people have perceptions about their safety, fears about the future of their community. Uh, <laughs> okay. Are you falling asleep yet on I think, this one? I, could... I, I think we might be talking about two different stories here, Chris. <laughs> no, this is this is honestly what they want these consultants to look at. Uh so look, yeah, the task force, the Territory AFL Team Task Force was appointed uh, last October with its work to be guided by this 2019 report that was developed by Bastion EBA, which considered the feasibility of the NTAFL team. The task force findings uh, uh, are to be handed to the chief minister in December. The inclusion of a Tasmanian team as the 19th in the AFL competition will be voted on by other clubs later this year. Um, it's expected to be approved and focused would then be on the NT having next team in when AFLNT released its report into the viability of the team last June, um, which it uh, was going to use to lobby AFL headquarters for a team. It said that the NT did not meet the conventional AFL license measures of having a large and grown population and being a non-traditional AFL center. So, yeah. but then this is where the, the unique opportunity to look at the expansion differently and that the potential for a team to affect social and community change was immense and is worthy of further investigation. Yeah, um, I can sort of understand that, and I, I can see that part of it. I'm not really sure about the vibration and the fauna, but yeah. what I would say is I'm an AFL fan, have been all my life. I follow other codes as well, but I absolutely do follow the AFL. When it was first in, when the NT Thunder came in and played in the uh, AFL Northern Competition, let's forget its full title, but and they won the flag and they were very successful. I thought that's fantastic. The problem is they weren't financially viable. Now they weren't financially viable, presumably for a couple of reasons, but. One of those is going to be not enough ticket sales at home, mm. right? So that's not going to change. And even if you built a 50,000-seat stadium, that would entail getting half the population to the game every time there's a game. And there'll be, what, 11 home games a year plus potentially finals. So unless the AFL is willing to subsidise it, the Northern mm. Territory government's willing to subsidise it, or other governments... I, I just couldn't see it happening. I, yeah, underst I, I understand I, social impact, and that's great, yeah. but that's a, a you know that's a pie in the sky type achievement. It kind of is, unless you know. And they're trying to do what they've always done with social programming here, which is to put together this plan and take it cap in hand to the federal government and say you fund correct it because correct this is going to be good. Now, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about that. So in Canada, with NHL teams, it's basically you're not getting a franchise in the city unless you have huge corporate investment, right? Like yep. you've got to have headquarters for companies to be in. Yep. This. Like this is what really keeps these teams flowing and going. Correct. And uh, yeah, so like yeah, Darwin just doesn't have. Have anyone now yeah, talking about filling those seats and stuff like yeah. it's not corporate 
sponsors here that will keep this going. And- no, they might they might do the first year, but that'll be it. Yeah. What, what yeah. I thought was interesting, I, I actually watched a, uh, a John Oliver episode yesterday, which was from a few years ago. But apparently in uh, American football and in American sports now, uh, obviously in the US, if um, the governments uh, basically build all the stadiums for the, the various franchises around the country. The governments do. The governments it? build it, yeah. No, like I that. didn't know that. Uh, you got to watch this episode. He, he he went through the deals of all these different things. I think it was the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm. They have a deal that their stadium was built for them. Uh, they get to keep all the revenue. They get to keep all the money from the concerts they sell outside of when the team plays and everything else. But they also they can forward date things into their deals. So they have it written into their contract that if it's possible to have an in-stadium hologram replay machine, mm. then the government has to give them one as well. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, that's crazy. It is crazy. Oh. So <laughs> maybe if they can talk a government into building them a stadium and uh, fronting the ongoings to run it, then uh, yeah. maybe there's a chance. Well, then Andy Cowan can show up and talk about the hologram <laughs> thing that he saw at Disney World that time. Exactly. So yeah. that trip was worth it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting the hologram, baby. Yeah. That's it. Now, I'm sad to tell you that uh, the big man from 0832 has uh, dropped off the call. So uh, it's just you and me to close out. But, Chris, as always, mate, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, great. Thanks, Peter. Hopefully I'll see both of you next week again, Leon. I'll be back. Yeah. We'll see you then. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshie back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.